nestled on the western edge of Port Phillip Bay, an hour and a half's drive from the deadly intrigues of Melbourne, lies Gateway City, the hub of the region. G-Town. The last four decades, an uneasy peace has existed between the Anarchs and Camarilla in G-Town. Their borders meeting on Bruce Street in the very centre of the city, the two sects divide the domain neatly in two. The native Anarchs, consolidated in the industrial north, have learned to tolerate Prince Aveline and her Camarilla invaders, and she in turn grants all Anarchs the right to hunt and conduct business in her waterfront domain. Anarch rabble-rousers and Camarilla traditionalists each afford their counterparts reluctant respect. Until now. Word from Melbourne has reached the kindred of G-Town. Prince Squizzy wages a war on three fronts against a newly reorganised Anarch faction, Sabat Infiltrators and the Onslaught of the Second Inquisition. As refugees from both sects flood into Gateway to escape the oncoming chaos, local tensions flare, and the truce that has maintained peace since 1983 will be pushed to its limits. Welcome to Lords of G-Town, a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat Podcast. With music by Kevin McLeod, White Bat Audio, Ivan Duch, and Jaxius Music. Now, as the sun sets on the city and the blood stirs, let's see what horrors the kindred face this night. Welcome back to Lords of G-Town, everybody. And it's not a particularly ordinary nor happy night for you tonight. You're in the midst of a murder investigation that's been thrust upon you. Sam is avoiding you. Her very nervous ghoul being your only vector of contact between her and the Coterie, and as if that wasn't bad enough, there's something about this murder investigation, something uncharacteristically familiar, something that the Coterie have just learned seems to be tied inextricably to their past. The veils of Sam Stokes's domination have been cast aside, and as your vehicles carry you down the road, down Cowie's Bay towards the little cluster of seedy entertainment buildings that lie just beyond the city limits, Ocean Drive, the Tourist quarter come red light district presided upon, presided over by the Sphinx itself, the Geezer Lounge. 
horrific implications linger in the air and in your minds. 21 years ago, when you were all still fledglings, Samantha Stokes orchestrated the deaths of three people at your hands and then promised to clean up the mess in return for your undying loyalty. Something you'd been blissfully unaware of until this very night. And as the grand, almost scale replica of the Sphinx emerges on the horizon, the neon lights it casts reflected on the surface of Cowie's Bay. Bouncer, Wolf, and Tig are struggling to make sense of what's real, what's not, and exactly how much of the last 22 years have been a lie. Bouncer is sitting in the, in her usual spot, the passenger seat, Tig's ute, and where she'd normally be grabbing for the dashboard, holding on for dear life, jostled around as if she's on a roller coaster. Tonight she's uncharacteristically quiet, her head hung, and Tig's face stony glances through the windshield the road ahead. Finally, Bouncer speaks. What... What is this? First, Sam won't even dignify us with the time of day, and, and now this? Someone... Someone doing these murders and what are they are they trying to frame us are they trying to get revenge are they making a move against sam what's going on i'm thinking we wasn't the only ones she done that to i'm thinking the Dominate didn't take on one of them. And they snapped loose and decided they liked doing that. That's what I'm thinking. Parallel to the Ute is Wolf's car. Picking up speed slightly to match the pace of the Ute. You glance over and you see Wolf through the driver's side window. Wolf is usually fairly stoic. It's hard to get a handle on what he's thinking at any time. He's always devoted to the job at hand, but you can tell what you can see of him through the tinted windows that he's particularly stoic in this moment. His face neutral. Wolf, what are you thinking? Swolf's at a bit of a bit of a juncture of his own. He doesn't like the fact that if this is true and this is something that they all actually experience, that he's been manipulated this whole time. But he also recognizes the importance of the structure 
that's being put in place with Sam, kind of the linchpin position between everything. She's not doing the right thing, and she's clearly, if this is if this is true, uh, got ulterior motives. But the system is there for a reason, isn't it? Can't handle this," says Bouncer through gritted teeth. She fumbles through Tig's dashboard for her phone, and outside, you see the light of. You see the light of Wolf's phone activate, illuminating his face and the empty cabin of his car. And Wolf, as soon as you reach for your phone and slide your finger across it, Bouncer's voice fills your ears, simultaneously angry and confused. Wolf, did you... The face on that billboard, did you... See what Tig and I... I don't know, that depends on what it is you saw. The, the, the hotel room, people dead at our hands, and Sam standing there as if she meant for the whole thing to, to happen? Wolf scowls, probably the deepest, nastiest scowl he's let slip through his visage and hangs up the phone. Does his car speed up a little bit? Take off ahead? No, but he you can clearly see him gripping the wheel very tightly. Bouncer lowers her phone. She sighs, looks over at Tig and says, Wolf just wants to get the job done. As usual. No surprise. That one don't like thinking if he can help it. She peers over her shoulder, her lips pursed, and eyes Marion's car, about a car length behind you. Do you think... Do you think Marion... Should we tell her? We absolutely should. Cause... The Giovanni are tied up with it with Sam somehow. And she might know something about it. Bouncer nods. With resolve on her face, she swipes her finger across her phone once again. And this time, Marion... Your phone begins to ring. You've got Cat there in the passenger seat. And as Cat gives you a look. Wondering what's going on. You reach for the phone, swipe your finger across it, and Bouncer immediately begins to regale, without being prompted, the memory that she and Tig, and Wolf as well, have unlocked. She set us up, says Bouncer. Sam set us up, called us all together, manipulated us. And now we're running around. Maybe it's not the best idea to speak about this over the phone. I just want answers, says Bouncer. Now, the place we were in that memory, I'm pretty sure it's that hotel that you and your clan are caught up in. Okay. Now, why would... 
Why would Sam choose that place of all places, huh? Huh? Look, I, I, I really think we should talk about this in person as a group. All right. Let's talk about it in person then. You want to stop the car? Uh, look, I know a place, and she uh, she right. rattles up a location of a, like a cafe. Let's go there and have a chat. Because if we go into the club, muddled as we are, might not work out so well for us, you know? Got to clear some air. Bouncer hangs up the phone without another word, and five minutes later, the three vehicles are pulling up beside a beside a little cliffside truck stop. It's an old-fashioned 1950s-style diner, dressed up in the most garish Americana theme you can imagine. But you don't enter the diner. Instead, as soon as you park the cars, you make your way across the car park to a small wooden picnic table just beyond the diner building itself. You take your seats around the table, and for a few moments there's no sound save for the night wind and the waves lapping against the beach down far below. Who's the first to break the silence? Okay. And what's this all about? You weren't there when we found the ghoul who was working on a way to break through Dominic. But you were there at the end of that when he got resolved. And yes, uh, What was his name? German something. German Carl something. Breyer. Yeah. Carlos Breyer or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> fact is, he did us a little favour and started Helping us pick at a wall that was in ours. Now, before I go much further, I have to ask: Do you know what kind of relationship Sam's got with uh, your cousin Chase and the Giovanni who managed the hotel? Does she? Go ahead and make me, Marion, an intelligence plus politics or finance role. Yeah, uh, on finance, that's six dice. Critical six. Critical six. So, a couple months ago, roughly coinciding with Val's disappearance, was that article that revealed that Sam Stokes, ostensibly an heir to a Brisbane-based crime lord, owned stakes in the historical colonial hotel. The article revealed that to the public, but Marion, you've known for quite some time. It's sort of a secret, an open secret between your clan that Chase Giovanni and your sire, Verity Giovanni, have an arrangement of sorts with Sam that a couple decades ago, Sam helped them out of a rough spot financially and in return for this 
Your clan granted her a stake in the ownership of that hotel. It was, apparently, as far as you understand it, Sam who originally came up with the idea of the safe harbour clause, that the hotel should serve as a neutral location presided over by the Hakata for any kindred that requested it. Uh, yes, did a favour for Chase, uh, got a share in things. Hmm. Alright, so it's just a share. I believe she uh, had a major hand in making it a neutral ground. Alright, so it's a favour for favour kind of thing. But it's not like an ongoing... Okay. I think that's okay. This is one of those things... I wish Val was here. So anyway... You hear the, you hear the sound of cracking, splintering wood as Bouncer, with her fist clenched, slams it down on the wooden table, her teeth bared. Neutral ground. <laughs> Away from the Cam, away from the Anarchs, away from anyone who could stop Sam from playing her little game and fucking with our heads. So, anyway, what uh, Carlos Breyer did for us was he started unraveling some of that later dominate stuff that Sam used on us, and we remembered. We remembered being in that hotel and murdering some people when they got shoved in our room well we was really really hungry and then sam comes in cool as a cucumber and says oh you've made a mess oh you failed at the tests but if you want me to make it disappear you i will you just owes me a whole lot of favors it'll be like this never happened yeah, Marion just looks him dead in the eyes. She doesn't actually make any verbal response. Because she's taking him seriously. Bouncer still... Still... Quite angry peers over at Cat. And says... You remember that... That, that bloke in the O'Tollies that you, you drained on your first night? Yeah, I There's remember How'd that make you feel, huh? Like the worst thing ever? Like a monster and you you do anything to make up for it, right? Uh, what do you, what do you mean? I mean... So you... You trusted us because... Because we offered you a way to... Put it behind you to, to, to come to terms with what had happened, right? I... I think so. I guess so. Bouncer shrugs. She smiles as if... As if she's just... stated the winning argument in a court case. She gestures towards Cat and says, See? See? Cat threw in with us because we helped her out of a rough situation and now, Cat, you consider us your friends, right? I, I think so. Or at least like workplace friends, you know? Acquaintances. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. We've we've showed you the ropes and look, maybe we're not maybe we're not super close, but 
you feel like if there's any vampires you could trust, it, it, it's me and Tig and Wolf and Marion here, right? Yeah, I think you, so. You, you don't have to say yes to that, darling. Um, okay. Well, how Cat feels about us, that's how we've always felt about Sam. And it turns out it was for the same reason. She helped us out of a sticky situation, only she orchestrated the whole thing. She got about three innocent people dead. Killed the last one herself. Just to try and get one over on us. Just to try and get a favor out of us. First one, the first one was Bouncer racks her brain and frowns, stroking her chin. The first one was Hunger Frenzy. Gotta be. I have a feeling I know what happened. We know Sam teaches young Kindred the ropes, and, well, she's always had that thing, you know? Doesn't train them how to hunt until they master their disciplines, can control themselves, relies on their sires to feed them, or else procures bagged blood for the first few months, right? So she called us there, said, I'm gonna teach you how to feed, knowing that, knowing that we are totally dependent on her and our sires, your sires, because remember mine walked out on me, never met the guy, and then sent someone up to the room to their death. Then a second one. Second one arrives. Wolf puts him out of his misery because, well, we all know what that's what Wolf does. And then the third one, she kills herself. Probably convinces us that that's our fault too, right? I think the important question is, why did she need us so badly? Right, says Bouncer. She's had access to every fledgling maid in this city for the last what? 40 years. What if every one of them gone through something similar? To what end? Well, we've been a we've been pretty much loyal to her. We've been running around doing her favors. We just saved her from a heap load of trouble. No, but what I'm saying is that all across the city there are leaders doing something similar but less nefarious. People are loyal to the prince, people are loyal to the war chief, people are loyal to all sorts of people. Why is she doing this like this? That's a good question. And I'm thinking it's mainly because she knows Andrea's planning something big and she wants to pee in her Cheerios. She needs some disposable goons to help with that. A wolf does not take kindly to being called a disposable goon. And yeah, does Bouncer. She flares up immediately, stands up, and for a moment it looks like she's going to reach down and wrench the picnic table off the ground and hurl it off the cliff, but she composes herself, baring her fangs, she hisses. <sighs> so that's all we are. Disposable goons, sleeper agents to be activated whenever Andrea showed her face. Yeah, that's just my guess. If you got a better explanation, I'm all fucking ears. Bouncer thinks for a moment, and then she frowns. No, that's just the thing. I don't. And it sounds very much like Sam. Mm-hmm. Does, don't it? There's a lot of questions I have about all this, but I don't think we're going to have any answers just sitting around here mumbling. 
No, but honestly, the main reason I wanted to stop and talk about was I wanted to see if there was a connection with the Giovanni beyond like a good turn and them letting her use their space. And it seems like there ain't. Look, so... I, I wouldn't be entirely shocked, but uh, not that I know of. Yeah, if it's just Chase doing backroom dealings, that's fine. He struck me as kind of a skeevy type anyways. Don't care much. Your sire probably keeps you in the dark anyway, eh, Marion? Says Bouncer. Uh, uh, excuse me? I mean, look what they've got your, your dad doing. They've just palmed him off on you. You don't know what he's doing and how it benefits the clan they've just told you look after him not worry about it you know you, you don't have to marry Malv off all the time you, you do have other character traits that's a little harsh but look there's no need to get that was a bit personal there bouncer so it's her dad it's her dad it's well i for one bouncer folds her arms i for one I'm glad that Sam hasn't had the guts to show her face. How many fledglings have been made this year alone? We've got Flick, we've got Marion's dad, we've got Cat here, and she looks over at you, Tig, and she says, and, well, rumour flying around amongst the Anarchs is that Elaine is one of us now. Fucking Banya can't keep his pile shut. Son of a bitch. I didn't even tell him about that. He probably had it reported back to him. Eh. Oh. Take cast a sour glance at Marion. Long story short, don't bother looking for somebody to embrace my wife. I already took care of it. Ah. Un understood. Didn't have a choice, and that's something else we need to talk about when we get a second. But that's not so important right now. So we got, what, four, five fledglings made this year alone, says Bouncer. Let's count back 40 years. Your theory's right, Tig. There could be half of G-Town could be her little sleeper agents. Yep. That's not even... Bearing in mind all of the fledglings that have moved on to other domains, you know, know how many are only here for a year and then fuck off to Melbourne or Sydney or wherever else. Yep. So what are we gonna do? I reckon. I reckon we throw the towel in with this whole murder investigation, leave it for Sam to solve. I don't think that's a good idea, and I'll tell you why because if what I think is right and this is somebody who's broken free of Sam's conditioning and is just keeping up the act and is just keeping it up for fun then what we got there is evidence of shenanigans what we got there is something we can use to hold over Sam and say you know you fucking behave or your dirty laundry gets aired for all to say and then we get her to finally tell us what the deal is with, with Andrea. Get answers for all of us, and, and for Kat here, 
help her find down her help her find her maker and get some closure for all that horrible shit she had to go through. You want closure? Have you thought about it? No is an okay answer. I mean, you've had a lot to think about there, cat. Um. If you haven't thought about it, I mean, I'm not going to pressure you, but... Not really, I mean... I haven't really thought about it. Surely you want to... Surely you want to at least ask her why you, out of everyone else there at the restaurant that night. I mean, I guess. Well, that's good enough, says Bouncer. Good enough reason to find her. Well, so, any, any rate, we ain't gonna be finding nobody we don't get to that nightclub and start snooping around. Bouncer nods. So to the geezer lounge then? Shake the tree, see what falls out, go from there. Yeah, that's more or less the plan. Let's go then. Now she begins to move, she begins to stride back towards the cliffside car park past the diner where the three vehicles are. She looks once more over her shoulder, looks over at Cat, and says, By the way, place we're going I bet there's going to be setites in charge so uh if you guys want to fill the newbie in on exactly what kind what breed of weirdo she's about to encounter I think she'd appreciate it and then she says nothing more as she silently shuffles away you hear the card you hear the door of the ute opening and slamming somewhere in the darkness clear Bouncer that Bouncer's got a chip on her shoulder tonight. Bouncer don't get talking much, but she talks right when she does. Ah, talks sense when she does. Yeah. Uh, Wolf, you want to tell her about set eyes who on me? Or Marion? You're cool. So most of my dealings with set eyes have been second hand, or, you know, maybe a little too first hand. Gotcha. I'll roll politics again for that. Yeah, go ahead. Roll intelligence plus politics. Uh, <laughs> ooh, messy eight. I'll take it because it's non-consequential. Yeah, messy eight. So I'm not going to apply the messy to this. Ah. But I will keep it in mind. <laughs> you, you. Well, there's some dealings that the Hakata have with the Sedites of G Town. You're. There was a time when you were both sort of independent outsider clans. The, the Sedites are dyed-in-the-wool anarchs these nights, but it wasn't always that way. They were more like the Hakata, a clan that sort of sat on the outskirts and did their own thing. So you've not had any dealings with them personally, Marion, not in a long time, but you understand that most of the criminal underworld in G-Town at least the portions of it that are concerned with drugs and other kinds of vice, almost always are controlled by the Sedites. And as far as you know, there's only two Sedites in the city. There's, there's Meredith, 
the lead Sedite who operates out of the City Art Gallery, and her child. Uh, rather unsettling little man that always made you squirm every time you talk to him by the name of Marcus. The guy's such a sleaze. He can't even go a single sentence without offering to try to sell you what you really need. <laughs> okay. Uh... I'm not sure how useful that would be. <laughs> so, set setites. Tigger's going on as Marion relates the highbrow stuff. Setites are basically drug dealers, and they're friendly as fuck until they ain't. See. Be really careful if you accept any favors from them, because they will call let in at the worst possible time. Is what I got told. Mm. Also, they got a thing for snakes and Egypt and whatnot. I see. It's a thing. Are they really still doing that? Oh Maybe fuck one. yeah! If, if Mitch, it's, if Mitch is oh. to be believed, they got like giant fucking snakes guarding their shit down below the art center. Oh, that's just that's just embarrassing. Yeah, you feed you feed animals uh, kindred blood enough, uh, shit gets weird. Unless you do it right, they ain't doing it right. They're just kind of don't get me started on ghoul breeding. All right, <laughs> I really don't intend to. So the message seems loud and clear to you, cat. No vampires are to be trusted, but these ones especially are not to be. And any favours they offer, anything they offer to give you, it's always going to come with a catch. Something expected, something demanded in return. And so, attached. once more at the vehicles, you exchange glances with each other. Your course of action decided and you head out tires screeching on the asphalt as you speed away from the little cliffside diner. An American flag with one too many stars flapping in the night wind. And about ten minutes later you're approaching the domain of the Sphinx. The first thing you think is, what if Egypt was a big box supermarket? because it's a big open car park. About half full at this time of night, still quite late. And for the car park to be half full at about two in the morning, then that's enough to tell you that the club is pretty popular. And the big open car park is presided over by a meticulously detailed scale replica of the Egyptian Sphinx. The nose has even been blasted away and sanded down to replicate the real thing. 
the giant cat seems to sneer at you as you make your way across the parking lot and approach the entrance of the club itself a set of glass double doors wedged between the sphinx's two front paws purple and blue lights flash somewhere inside and bathe the paws of the sphinx in a variety of different decidedly non-egyptian colored hues and as you stand in front of the door you see that someone's even gone to the trouble of carving authentic looking hieroglyphics into the frame of the entryway Anything you'd like to do before you step in? And so, so you step... To... Go ahead, Tim. So I to rethink my life choices. Nah. <laughs> and so you step forwards in unison and the glass doors slide open, admitting you first into the hotel's lobby. It's a small, cramped room where the walls are painted with very colourful depictions of the Nile Valley and the Pyramids of Giza. There are fake palm trees and gaudy plastic statues of ibises mounted along the bases, or along the perimeter of the room. There's a reception counter, but it's currently unmanned. So you step past it and through another set of double doors into the club itself. And here, the Egyptian theming is very quickly and abruptly discarded. As you step into a large, very metallic, very industrial-looking dance area that resembles more a abandoned warehouse than an ancient wonder of the world there's music in quotation marks playing but it's really just a sequence of grinding machine noises with a lot of bass thrown in and the dance floor is absolutely packed every inch of it covered in sweating drug-addled patrons. They've come together forming a big, colourful mass of flesh and sweat. There's very little standing room in the club. Most of it is dance floor. The, there aren't any tables or booths like Bouncer's Club. The only thing that's not the dance floor is a single little metal bar at the very back, manned by... An extremely sweaty-looking, heavy-set man wearing a pharaoh's headdress. And as he sees you step into the nightclub, he peers over the dance floor and eyeballs you, but doesn't make any indication that he wants you to approach. Just takes in that you're there, and then goes back to what he was doing, pouring drinks. So what's the plan? How do we want to find who we're looking for? No. There was a murder here, right? Well, there wasn't a murder here, but one of the murder victims, Carl Thrush, was apparently 
meant to come here for a meeting with his business partner. The owners of this establishment, according to his father anyway, being one of his main clients for, for the commodity that he was manufacturing. So I'm thinking somebody needs to go and talk business with uh, Kyle Fresh's business partner. If you can find him. Chatting with a bartender might be a good first way to go. And then there's the crowd. There's at least 200 people packed into this room. Most of them appear to be off their faces on some substance or another, and if you were to follow a trail... Follow the drug trail, as it were, that might lead you somewhere as well. I'll also ask one more question. I know several of you are quite hungry at the moment, this looks like it could be a place you could feed quite easily, but knowing that it's Sedite Domain, do you dare to? Oh, Marion knows much better. She's the one anyway. <clears throat> Cat, what hunger are you at? Uh, it's pretty high, I think. Let's see. You're at three? Yeah, I'm at three. I'd like you to go ahead and roll me a resolve plus composure. This music's getting midi, says Tig. I'm gonna go take a smoke break. It's a success three for me. Success three. So as you take in the sights and sounds, as you see all these people moving as one, the beast rumbles in the back of your mind. You can pick anyone. Anyone. Pull them aside. Ask them to meet you somewhere else. No one would ever know. And then you have Tig's voice in the back of your mind, accompanied by Marion's. Don't take anything from a Sedite, love. They'll always demand something in return. You're hungry, cat. You can't deny it, but you've got enough control of yourself that you can choose not to feed here if you like. You can choose to push the beast down into the recesses of your mind until you find a more opportune time and place that isn't going to put you in debt to people you don't want to fuck with. What would you like to do? Um. I mean, I feel like she's still uh, kind of make trouble. Yeah. Uh, Dude, like come on. <laughs> she's still very like kind of uh befuddled as to what all is going on. Um. So I think she's just gonna like just start wandering around, probably. 
taken oh. in by the sounds and the the intoxicating atmosphere, is she going to feed? Or is she just going to try to stay on the edges of the dance floor and try to avoid getting too close to anyone lest she give in? You know, I feel like she might talk to some folks, but I don't think she's going to try and feed. Mm. Right now, I don't think she's really comfortable. So Kat's going to try and talk to some folks, see what shakes out. Marion, you... You probably want to cut straight to the person in charge. She tends to do that. So you have two things you can do, Marion. You can either head up to the guy at the bar, demand to see who's in charge, or you could scout the club itself, see if you can lock eyes with anyone who looks a bit more important than the patrons and corner them somewhere. Uh, let's go with option number B for now. Option number B. So I will ask, uh, and also Wolf, what would you like to do? You're probably uh, Wolf is going to take a seat up at the bar somewhere with a good vantage point of everybody from the coterie. Just scope the place out, see if you uh, notice anything. Less scoping the place out and noticing anything, but keeping an eye on everybody in case they get in trouble. All right. So first, we'll go with Cat. Cat, go ahead and make me a. Well, you're you're trying not to feed, so we'll go composure plus either streetwise or persuasion. Okay. Oh no! <laughs> Bestial you... failure. Bestial failure. So you drift towards the <laughs> These dance rolls floor, today. and you're sort of just standing there on the edge of the dance floor. If anyone looked over and saw you, they would just see your eyes staring off into the middle distance. Your face utterly blank as the lights paint your pale skin in a variety of different neon-soaked hues. The music swells around you and people move, and to you it's kind of like you're seeing it as a slideshow, because this is the first time since you became a vampire you've been around this many people, this much fresh blood, all packed into one place. And you were hoping to just catch someone who was off on the edges doing their own thing, strike up a conversation, see if maybe they could direct you to someone the Coterie might like to check out. Instead, you stand there for several minutes until finally this woman with long blonde hair whose pupils are so dilated that they're barely little black pinpricks at this point who is so obviously off her face on something that she could barely walk in a straight line makes her way towards you and she smiles as she brushes a sweat flecked lock of hair out of her face looks you up and down and says 
Shit! You look like death walking! You fucking need something! You need a pick-me-up! You need to get the party going, sister! Oh, I... ...need something, alright. <laughs> <laughs> and the beast purrs. As... I give you a randomly rolled composure... Randomly rolled compulsion, I swear, from your bestial failure, and you decide that you have to feed. <laughs> oh, so you are looking for something, she says, as she grabs you by the shoulder and sort of steers you off the dance floor, steers you towards a dark corner of the room, just ever so slightly out of earshot and eyeshot of anyone who might be looking in. And then she unslings her handbag from her shoulder and begins rifling through it. She smiles, baring her teeth, and says, So, what do you want, uppers, downers, coke, weed? thinking about something a little a little different a little different go ahead and make me a manipulation plus persuasion check it's gonna go great <laughs> you know what you want says the beast and she's offering what do you do That is a success of four. Success of four. You lean in and you watch as she lays out an assortment of drugs down. Down on her the floor by her feet. A pill packet, a baggie of something white, a baggie of weed. Everyone knows what weed looks like, though you're not sure why anyone would be smoking it in a place like this. But that's not what you want. She looks at you expectantly and says, Oh. Oh, you don't want the same shit as everyone else. Oh. Well, I suppose I could offer you something off the secret menu. But Marcus would have to give the okay for it. You know who Marcus is, right? Yeah, I know who Marcus is. Make me a manipulation plus subterfuge check. Uh, success five. Look, <laughs> she smiles. Well then, you know I can't very well hand the shit out, right? You gotta go through Marcus. And, well, you seem to know who he is. You prob That's probably who you were looking for, right? When you were standing there and you are all zoned out. Well, I'll yeah, let you in. Yeah, that's right. I'll let you in on a secret. See, 
it's not supposed to be in tonight. But... But... He's got some stuff. See? He's meant to be waiting on the new shipment, only something's come up. And us, you know, me, his other, uh, other friendly neighborhood dealers. Well, we're not supposed to, uh, offer the good shit because he's not meant to have any, right? He's meant to be out getting it tonight. Only he's got enough left. He's got a stash. It's for the favoured customers only, you know, the ones that have demonstrated they can pay for it, and they're looking you up and down, you, yeah, you need something, you need, I know what you need, and I know you're good for it, you knew what you were looking for, so I'll tell you where he is tonight. You're gonna head outside, head out the parking lot, there's a little pyramid just outside the gate. That's... Well, uh, that's, uh... That's the strip club. Let's, uh, let's lay it out there. That's the strip club. Invite only. But that's where Marcus does his business. When he's not in here. And that's where he is tonight, and that's where the select customers are, and... Well, this'll get you in, okay? She reaches into her handbag and she pulls out a business card. There's not much written on it. It's a normal white business card with a picture of a pyramid and the words Pharaoh's Bounty written on it. And she says, you just show him this at the door and you'll be able to get in. You hunt Marcus down and tell him, tell him that Michelle vouched for you, right? Tell him, tell him you, tell him I say you're good for it and that you don't want any of this shit. You want, you want Vitae, man. You want, you want Vitae, yeah? Yeah. Well, you got it. But I warn you, first time customer at all, he's gonna wanna check you out. He's probably gonna ask for payment up front. And uh, I just hope you got the goods. But if you don't, I'll be here waiting with any of the garden variety stuff. But. Okay. The masquerade is in shambles. But there's still something. <laughs> You're in a setite den, to be yeah. fair. But um, there's something more you want from her, Cat. You stare down at this business card, and somewhere in the back of your mind, it registers that this is something that the coterie can make use of. But the beast is the beast is continuously pushing, rattling the bars of its cage. That's not what you want. She's offering. She's offering and you can take it. Just be up front. Tell her what it is you need. And I'll give you a chance to compose yourself. Would you like to take the chance to compose yourself? Or will you give in and satisfy your compulsion to feed? 
Um. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I want to like, make this choice. Okay. Mm. At least, uh, at least I can, you know, I can give you a pick-me-up or something until you get over there. Sis, you look like a walking corpse. Oh my god. <laughs> um... I think... I think she's gonna try to resist. Try to resist? Go ahead. Yeah. Roll me a composure plus resolve check, please. <laughs> you got this. It's easy. And by the way, I've been applying your presence to your social roles for you. Okay. Uh, successful. Because I assumed in a nightclub you'd probably have it on. Yeah. She leans in, and as she leans in, you can see a blood vessel on her neck, and it seems to throb with her heartbeat. Seems like it's full to the brim with blood. It couldn't be vibrating any faster. It looks like it's going to burst and rain fresh blood all over your face, and you feel your fangs extending, you feel yourself drawing in, and then you shake your head, you push her away, and you say, no, no, I'm good. I only came for the good stuff. You know, once you've had that, you, you can't go back, right? She winks. All right, whatever you say, sister. But you know what? Marcus don't like the look of you, and you want to slum it with the shit. Come find me. I got what you need. And then she turns and makes her way back towards the dance floor, back towards the pulsating, gyrating thing that sprawls across it. So, Marion... You're trying to find someone who looks like they're not either a patron or your garden variety drug dealer. So I'd like you to go ahead. I don't know if that was a garden variety drug dealer just now. Um. Yeah, no, that was that was a I'm hopelessly addicted to sedite blood drug dealer. But oh, who can relate? <laughs> go ahead and make me a wit plus either awareness or finance check wits was the first one yep okay two successes two successes so you just sort of lean against one of the walls on the perimeter of the club your gaze passing over the dance floor I will say for the record that you do see Kat sneak off with this very obviously off-her-face woman who you can't believe is just brazenly offering drugs in the middle of the dance floor the way she is. 
And eventually your gaze settles upon someone beyond the dance floor. On the opposite side of the club to where the bar is, there's a fire exit. There's a little corridor that leads off, heads towards the toilets, and there's a fire exit there. There's a red light above the fire exit that casts this little corner of the club in a deep crimson glow. And there, you see a man wearing an ill-fitting very obviously expensive business suit. The suit itself is very baggy, hangs loosely on his body, which is far too small for it. But it's clear to you that the suit is not just cheap crap taken off a rack at a bargain clothes store. Someone has gone the extra mile and bought a suit that costs some money to complete their very sleazy looking ensemble and they've got two guys with them they're sort of in a huddle the guy in the suit's holding a clipboard and his fingers running down the clipboard as he speaks to his two little compatriots it's very obvious by the look on his face that he's Telling them off about something. It's very obvious to you, Marion, that this is a manager. A manager disciplining his employees. And just under the collar of his ill-fitting shirt, you can see that he's wearing the most garish piece of jewellery you can imagine. A big golden Egyptian unk. <laughs> Okay, just remind me what brought us to the Giza land specifically. So, you're trying to find, I guess, Carl Thrush's business partner. It could be the Sedite running this place, but it might not be. Yeah, and that was the... That was just, like, the, the, the drug dealer that got... Yeah, the guy yeah. who was manufacturing ice, and... You're not even sure if this is anything to do with his murder. You just chose... You just thought this lead might be more promising than investigating the newly discovered third victim. You didn't quite trust Sam's motives on that one. So you're here trying to find any lead you can, essentially. Okay. Um, so the, the this manager was, like, being shitty to his his uh his, work, his subordinate his he, yeah. you watch as he as he runs his finger down the clipboard one more time and barks something to them you can't hear what he's saying over the music but after a while his subordinates nod and exchange worried looking glances and then he shoes them away they disperse into the club as he stands there in the red light of the fire escape just peering down at his clipboard seemingly absorbed in it uh marion just strides up to him and she opens you, you know I, I really shouldn't tell you this but that's not going to reflect well on your report yeah he looks up from his clipboard and it's hard to tell in the crimson haze whether he's mortal or kindred Either way, this guy's either a walking corpse 
or he's been awake for 48 hours. His eyes are wide, bloodshot. The lines on his face are so deep that it, you get the impression you could just peel his skin off with your fingernails. <laughs> and I will. And he just takes <laughs> a look at you and he says, oh, you don't look like the normal clientele, I'll give you that. So what are you, new business partner or something? <laughs> uh, sort of, ever heard of a secret shopper? Secret shopper? For who? Well, not me. Look, I, I'm not supposed to uh, reveal myself, but I just need to let you know, because I know that you're not, you know, I, I know it's not uh, your business, but look, I have to report talking to you, your employees like that, and it, I don't want to get you fired. Make me a manipulation subterfuge check, please. Oh, this is absolutely intimidation coercion. Yeah, go ahead. Add a, add a dice for your specialty. Uh, wow. <laughs> Three on eight. Three on eight. Wow. If he looks worried, you have no way of telling for sure because... It seems like every breath he takes is a concerted effort. His eyes are constantly drifting to the left, drifting to the right, and it looks like he's barely able to hold himself together. He just scratches the back of his neck and he says, Report me. Report me, huh? But... But the boss said, the boss said he, he doesn't want anyone, anyone skimming off the top anymore. And, and those guys, those guys are handing out freebies to, 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 to try and get n new customers. And yeah, I look, I understand, mate. It's just about you making a big scene in the middle of the, in the middle of the, the establishment. So look, this doesn't have to be a big deal, but look, I, I, I'm going to level with you. I, I hate this job, so if you can just... If, if there's anything that you can point me towards that might be better for my report than some random guy yelling at his subordinates, that would be really fantastic. We can help each other out here. Oh, you'd have to... You'd have to speak to the boss, right? I mean, he told us that things are tight, Someone's taken out his business partner, so we gotta be, we gotta be conservative with, with with the shit, right? So I catch these two guys, and they're handing out dime bags for free when we don't have that shit to be handing out, right? I, I, I gotta hear on the clipboard, and he shoves the clipboard into your arms, and you peer down at it, and it looks like an inventory of some kind. It's a record of product that they have, how much they've sold. He says, ah, I'm, just, I'm just crunching numbers. Where's it? we got to keep this place open. we got to keep it functioning. we got to keep the regulars happy uh, until the boss can secure a new new upline. And and you're coming down on me because, 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 because I, 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 I was just passing along orders. Yeah, I know. That's that's why I'm saying seriously. If if you if you've got anything I can 
put on my report that's more interesting than this, that'd be great because I've got to fill a quota with this, right? That's my job. And look, just, just help me out here, man. Drugs, and he says, All right, well, I suppose if the boss sent you for me, sent you to check things out, then you can tell him we're trying to hold down the fort as much as we can but after after that andrea chick made a move on on, on his business partner we, we can't exactly do anything we're running low on supplies and well yeah we can't get the results he wants we can't get the money we normally do we got to rely on our regulars and we got to be careful who we hand this uh, who who we approach, I don't think we should be trying to get, you know, new clients, at least until he sighs. He says, you, you know all this already. You're clearly working for the boss. Look, even I can tell that you've clearly, uh, you know, living challenged, as it were. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Look, uh... The boss ain't gonna... The boss ain't gonna... Take this out of my pay, right? Like, I mean... You tell him that I I'm laying down the law... I'm still gonna get fed this month, right? Of course you are. Don't... Don't you worry about that. Look, if you have any issues with that, you can talk to me about it, okay? I'd like you to make me a charisma subterfuge check because you're trying to set him at ease a little bit can do and uh as i roll out she just continues i i know what it's like dealing with these things just employees and responsibility on you that really isn't your fault i, I get it and i'm gonna re-roll that because i only got one go ahead re-roll it oh critical five what's it scripts critical five lovely <sighs> he sighs oh, in obvious relief. Alright. Well, look. Just be upfront with him. Tell him that we don't have enough shit to go around. And I know his boss is coming down on him. I, I know the chick from the art gallery wants him to do what he does and get new people. And look. I know the drugs ain't the main thing here. I know the dependence is the thing. And I know that the clients we make here go to her. I know all that. And so I'm just trying to make sure that the whole thing doesn't fall apart. But he's going to... He's going to track down this, this this Andrea and solve whatever problems are going on with her. Get us a new business partner and... Look, I'll tell you how bad it is. The current rate we're going through shit, we've only got enough... Well, he's... We don't... We have, we have, we have so little of the good stuff left that they got to go through him to get it. Preferred customers only. As for everything else, you know, all the normal drugs we peddle through here... current rate we're going through it we're gonna be out in a week okay so he's gonna do something fast and if 
you can bring that to his attention, maybe he'll be more willing to listen to us, to listen to his employees, right? Okay, I'll pass that along, and don't worry, I, I won't bring up your name. Ah, uh, I, I didn't give it, he says. He smiles nervously. Oh, Maybe it's for worry. the best. I, I know what it is. Thank you. And look, just forget about all this. His eyes glaze over and... And she's gone. As he looks up from his clipboard, she's already disappeared into the cacophony of noise and sound, noise and light and sensation of the geezer lounge. So, Wolf, I'd like you to go ahead and make me a wits plus awareness check. Wits plus awareness. Or investigation, up to you. Uh, success of three. Success of three. So, you've taken a seat at the bar. There's a couple metal stools here. No one's using them. No one sits at the bar at a club like this. But you do. You sit there, order a drink, engage in some meaningless conversation with the bartender. And as you nurse your drink, you just keep an eye on the proceedings. You see Cat fan off in one direction, Marion off in another direction. Tig stepped outside for a moment, probably to find animals to talk to, and everything seems to be going smoothly until about ten minutes after you sit down. The door to the geezer lounge's lobby slides open, and... A man that you instantly recognize as a ghoul due to his bloodshot eyes and distinctly pale pallor just stands in the doorway framed in the light. His gaze passes over the dance floor. He doesn't seem to notice you. He doesn't look towards the bar at all. Instead... His gaze stops briefly at Marion, and then once again at Cat. He looks over his shoulder as if to check if someone's there, and then you see him reach for a mic on his lapel. Peer down towards it and mutter something. I don't suppose you have specs. Uh, no. Wolf has no aspects. Yeah, so you're not sure what he's saying, but... He receives an order back. He nods. Smiles, a sinister smile, and then steps back through the door. Back outside into the night from whence he came. else you'd like to do uh i mean i i don't think 
as a player or a character, it would be a good idea to go following this guy. Probably not, no. So, I think he's going to note that down to let the group know that they might be being watched, but continue his vigil. Continue his vigil. And so we move to Tig. Tig, the sounds and the sensations of the nightclub proved to be too much for you. You could have tried talking to the bartender, but you doubt you would have been able to hear him over the din, and you would have been shouting the whole time. So you've stepped outside into the parking lot. As you step out of the geezer lounge, you're passed in the doorway by a man with pale skin, bloodshot eyes, an ill-fitting suit. The same man that Wolf just saw, although you're unaware of this. And as he walks past you, Tig, his gaze turns and he stares into your face, into your eyes. He stops for a moment, raises an eyebrow. Something in me, teeth. Tig Dunsoon? Yes, mate. What's your name, then? Never mind my name. What brings you to a place like this? So from the fact it's a public venue? are being nosy. People only come here because... They're either looking to buy something or they got debts to pay. Know what I mean? They might be looking to buy something. He smiles. <laughs> no, you'll be buying something tonight. Oh, mate, mate, don't be... Uh, tell me that wasn't a threat. Tell me no. that wasn't a threat. I've had a night, you know. All right, good. <sighs> Wouldn't dream of it, he says. And as Excellent. he steps past you back into the club, he reaches for the microphone on his lapel just in time for Wolf to see him speak into it. But you've already moved on, Tig. You've stepped out into the parking lot, and I assume you're resorting to your old fallback. Well, so far it's been uh, working. So yeah, we'll go ahead and see a get someplace unobtrusive, call up an alley cat or two. Also because Tig's feeling a little hungry, so after he has a chat he might, you know, have a nosh. Mm. Go ahead and roll your rouse check and your animal whispers for me, please. Alright. He does not get hungrier. If the info's good, they don't get eaten. That's the rule. Animal whispers says... Four successes. It doesn't have to be an alley cat, it can be rats. Four successes. This place seems seedy enough that there'd be a rat or two, and yet none show up. You find yourself back at the ute, leaning against the leaning against the door on the driver's side, just watching the empty parking lot, waiting for any sign of movement at all. And then you hear possibly the last thing you were expecting to hear. A hiss. You peer down and see a common brown snake 
extricating itself from a gutter somewhere, uncoiling and making its way towards you. Its forked tongue tasting the air as its hello. eyes glimmer in your direction. Well, hello, mate. You'd be why there ain't no rats, I reckon. Or cats, or anything else. Yeah. Tig, like, stretches a hand up and lets it loop around his arm. And it does so. It slithers up and begins to coil around your arm, perhaps a little bit more tightly than you'd like. If you were alive, you'd feel the circulation start to be cut off. As a vampire, no such effect. As a vampire with fortitude, no such effect, but you are at all times aware of the pressure this tiny, thin snake exerts upon your body, seeming to be... seeming to weigh at least double what it looks like as it compresses its body against you. Well, I'll be polite then, and he won't be lunch. All right. So here's the deal, mate. I'm looking for a creepy woman who might have been wandering around your mother numbers look like this. Failing that, I'm looking for trade in these. And Tig flashes a picture of uh, the vials of that stuff the kid had. <laughs> the snake's forked tongue darts out, paints the air, its eyes glimmer. And at this moment, it bears its fangs. And the tip of its fangs glide across your skin, almost as if the snake is asking for something in return. Pig bites his tongue, spits a bit of blood on his arm. The snake slithers forward, the forked tongue laps at the blood, Dan, and the snake's fangs dig into your skin. Because of your fortitude, the snake doesn't pierce your skin, it doesn't draw blood, but it still hurts like a bitch, nonetheless. Feels like somebody's jamming two needles into your flesh snake withdraws its head and the blood is gone and i'd like you to make a rouse check please probably better vintage than you get round here round here's probably addled with like doof balls and marijuanicas and all kinds of drugs tick loses no blood and as the snake withdraws you feel it begin to loosen its grip on your arm slowly begins to ease off as it uncoils and an image floods into your mind's eye. The same parking lot, the same one you're in, only you're viewing it from a different angle, from somewhere down in the gutter and on the opposite edge of the car park. From here you can see the fire escape, the emergency exit of the geezer lounge. Uh, the metal door looking decidedly out of place and blazoned against the back, f- the the left flank of the giant cat. And standing in front of the emergency door, 
are two people that you recognise. Simon Drummer and Carl Thrush, the two victims. Carl Thrush, looking slightly nervous, reaches into his bag and hands a baggie of something to Simon Drummer. Simon Drummer nods as he slides it into his pocket and he says, I'll, look, I'll ask around campus, but I can't guarantee anything. And this is the last time, okay? I'm not getting into trouble to get out of the debt. Carl Thrush nods and smiles and says, just consider it a favour to me. You get rid of what's in this bag. Give me my cut. Maybe I'll ask the boss man about cutting you loose, yeah? And then the vision ends. You're standing once more in the parking lot. At this point, the brown snake has fully uncoiled and it's begun to snake off your fingertips and drop back down onto the asphalt. Before it fully uncoils off your arm, it stops and raises its mouth to the air. And its forked tongue pokes out once more as if asking you if you liked what it had. You done good. Tig smiles. Ain't exactly what I'm looking for, but there's a name, Carl Fresh. <laughs> I bet the folks all inside will be happy I found that out. <laughs> <laughs> the snake silently drops off your arm and slithers away back into the gutter. Before it does, would you like to try to snatch it? And take some of that blood back? No. It done good. <laughs> I ain't gonna kill it. It's <laughs> gone. In an instant. That's like, I... I ain't fool enough to kill a snake on a satellite's lair. That's just asking for, yeah, you don't do that. And so the Coterie meets again. You meet in the cramped lobby of the club, standing in between the fake palm trees and the ibis statues, and you fill each other in on what you've found. Do you take the opportunity at this point, Wolf, to mention that it looks like the coder is being watched? Absolutely. So he relays onto them in um, detail about the definitely ghoul-looking man who came in and seemed to be relaying um, information to somebody on the other end of a uh, communication device. Seems to know your faces. Specifically yeah. Marion's. Near my name. Well, I got paid my price. I got information. There's a car fellow we got to talk to, right? Wait, he knew your name. Does that mean he spoke? Yeah. He looked at me and said, Take down, sir. And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, What are you here for? I'm like, Besides, it fact, this is a public place. I'll come fucking go where I want you, cunt. He's like, Oh, well, everyone comes here for something. I was like, Yeah, I might be looking for something. He's like, Yeah. Yep, and you'll pay for it. That's not good news. 
Tick shrugs. I did get what I wanted and I paid for it. So. so. You have a couple bits of intel and you quickly put them together to try to plan your next move. Cat learned where Marcus, one of the Setites, the one who runs this place, can be found. He's not in the club itself. He's over in the little pyramid just beyond the parking lot, the strip club called Pharaoh's Bounty. And she has an invitation. Marion learned that Marcus is dealing with a bit of a problem at the moment, that someone, coincidentally by the name of Andrea, seems to have made a move on his business partner, and he's running out of shit fast. And then, of course, there's what the snake divulged to you, Tig, that both of the murder victims so far were connected to this place. That Simon Drummer was dealing drugs for Carl Thrush. Two for two connected to the Sedites. We should probably see if they know who creepy older lady is. Also, we got something we can offer Carl because I guarantee that old man won't have gotten around to throwing that shit in the sea yet. We know where there's a whole fucking dumpster full of drugs. True. Tiggs. Tiggs says rolling one success on his intelligence. So the question Just... is, I guess, are you prepared to negotiate with the snake? Or is there any more scrounging up of intel you'd like to do? I think this is about best as we're going to get you. Listen to anybody else's thought. As far as I'm concerned, there's no good time to talk to a Sadite. Dick shrugs. And so you sigh, step out once more into the cold, but uncharacteristically humid night. Cross the vast parking lot and approach the little sandstone pyramid on the edge, the one with the neon sign depicting a pharaoh being fawned over by two scantily clad women. The pharaoh's bounty. As you step into the pharaoh's bounty, you realise that the only people who ever come here are people who already know exactly what services are provided here. There's no attempt made to continue the Egyptian theme beyond the building's exterior, the, the little plastic sandstone pyramid. As soon as you step inside, you hear stereotypical 1970s porno music, the sound of women's orgasms carrying from rooms beyond. The wallpaper is gaudy, the colour faded, bits of it torn away, the floorboards are covered in dust and burn marks and scuffs and the little reception area that you step into is furnished with three different couches, each of them looking like they were taken from a different grandmother's home in the 1950s. The most garish atomic age 
style you could ever imagine. Orange with red polka dots, yellow with red stripes, green with blue spirals. There's a, there's a single guard on the other side of the reception area, blocking off passage to the establishment proper. He's wearing that same ill-fitting black suit and that golden Egyptian unk necklace. You can't see this one's eyes as he's covered them with sunglasses. Sunglasses at night, no less. And as he sees you enter, he tips his ear towards the microphone on his lapel, whispers something back into it and nods. Invitation only, he says. Pig glances at Marion. I, I, I do believe we have an invitation, actually. Cat, do you produce the business card? He does. Cat proffers the business card. He takes it. He looks at it, flips it upside down, squints as he peers at the back, and then he looks into your eyes, narrows them, and he says, And where'd you get this? Sure, See, uh... Bosses remember the faces of everyone they hand these out to, and I do too. And I ain't seen you here before, so who's vouching for you? Who gave you this? Um, the woman's name was Michelle, but do you want? Do yeah. you really want to name drop her? Um, I feel like she doesn't really have the um. <laughs> the charisma to pull this off um do we have presence though that's true presence think... goes a long way sometimes she'll she'll just say like i have a i have a contact or yeah yeah you say i've got a contact i thought this place was supposed to be Known for its discretion. What's with all the questions? Go ahead and make me a charisma subterfuge check and you may add your presence to it, activating your awe. Uh, a charisma... What was the check? Sorry. Uh, charisma subterfuge and add your presence. Uh, success too. The way Kat says it, I thought this place was known for its discretion. Instantly, she becomes the classiest person in the room, and that's no small feat considering the sheer sleaziness on display here in this establishment. As she finishes her sentence, a muffled orgasm rings out from somewhere on the floor above. And then the man nods. He shrugs. Alright, fair enough. 
Fair enough. Yeah, discretion. We we do that here. So long as you remember the rules. And likewise, you don't ask any questions of your own. Got it? Got it. Yeah. They all with you, he says, pointing at the rest of the coterie. That's right. All right. He steps aside. He says... If you're looking for Marcus, he's in tonight. And come to think of it, he did say he was expecting visitors. People uh, like him. He opens his mouth, revealing that he doesn't have any fangs, but then using his thumbs to mime fangs. Head past the uh, main lounge. Upstairs, down the hallway. Second door on the left, that's his office. Don't keep him waiting. And then you step past the man into the establishment itself. The lounge, in quotation marks, is little more than an open room. There are several, little more than a wide open room with several moth bitten couches strewn about the place. There are scantily clad women lounging on some of them, and as you walk past, they wink at you or beckon, try to beckon you over, trying to show you the goods on offer. The regulars, if there are any in attendance, aren't in the lounge. They've already picked up what they are looking for and somewhere upstairs in one of the myriad rooms that overlook the lounge room from a balcony overhanging above. You shuffle awkwardly past the girls, make your way towards the staircase that leads to the second floor, a spiral staircase. Spiral staircase that once upon a time looked looks like it may have been classy. This whole place looks like it may have had a shred of class once about 60 or so years ago. And then when you make your way to the second floor, you quickly dart past the row of closed bedroom doors, hearing the sounds of bed springs and gasps and heavy breathing from the other side making your way down the hallway to the second door on the left. There's a little brass placard on the otherwise nondescript wooden door that simply reads, Office. And it's here where Marcus awaits, or so you've been told. So what's the go? Pretty much as we planned, right? We go in there and uh, ask for what info they got. Or saying we know that somebody's been killing their dealers and that somebody's someone who's searching for. So I'll ask a question. As you knock on the door and enter the office, how do you wish to present yourselves? Are you going to present yourselves as deferring to him as the boss, a little bit subservient? Are you going to present yourselves as confident, coming, looking to negotiate with equals? Or are you going to present yourselves as hard-edged people here to do a job and not ready to 
not not in the mood for shit. My vote's confident. Anyone else got any thoughts? Marion, as always, as matter of fact. Matter of fact. The dwarf so is Wolf here. is always Wolf. Wolf is here, stoically ready to complete the job. And Bouncer, how would you like to enter the room? Yeah, she likes the confidence idea. Confident, then. So Bounce is the one who strides forwards and wraps her fist on the door once, twice, three times. And I'd like you all to make wits awareness checks as Bouncer knocks on the door, please. Uh, messy five. Messy five. Ooh. One. One? Two for Tig. Two for Tig. Bouncer and Cat? Uh, just two for Bouncer. Two for Bouncer. And one for Cat. One for Cat. So, Glitch, go ahead and roll me a d4. Uh, one. One. As Bouncer knocks on the door, you're the first to hear it, Wolf. The sound of something heavy sliding across the floor on the other side. Then a loud click. And then a voice, a very sleazy voice, smooth as oil, saying, Come on in! But there's something tinny about the voice, something that you instantly recognize in it that tells you that there's no one on the other side of the door, that that voice is coming through a speaker of some kind, and your beast roars as the paranoia compulsion sets in, Wolf. You become overwhelmed with fearful paranoia, looking to disengage from a threat or suspecting anyone near you. Any action not taken towards getting somewhere safe suffers a two-die penalty. This ends when you've spent roughly an hour in a safe place. It's a trap, says the beast in the back of your head. First, Sam. Now, Setites. They've decided you're a loose end, they've decided you're a mess, and what do we do with messes? We clean them up. Uh, Wolf is going to, as they start to enter the room, protest. Look, there's something about this that isn't right. Do you not see it? Do the rest of you not see it? See what? If you're worried about, let me lead. The Tig steps forwards and pushes the door open. The door springs open and Tig boldly leads you into an empty office. There's a single desk. Someone should be sitting behind it, but no one's there. And the desk chair is still spinning, still swaying from left to right as if it was only recently vacated and as soon as you're over the threshold as soon as you're all in the office there's a loud click and the door slams shut behind you then 
once again you hear that sound that sound of something heavy being dragged across the floor and you look up and you realize the tiles on the ceiling above are sliding away four big tiles slowly sliding open and as soon as the first tile is open a single inch three large snakes stick their heads out of the darkness their tongues tasting the air <laughs> and then the tiles open more and the snakes drop down onto the floor Within a few seconds, the tiles have slid away, revealing four square-shaped holes in the ceiling. And before you have a chance to do anything, little pinprick eyes are visible in the darkness as one snake, then another, then another, then another, <laughs> then another reveals itself. And one by one, they begin to drop down out of the holes, down towards you seeming to move in unison coalescing into a gigantic oh, swarm mate. oh mate <sighs> so what would Tick's everyone like to do Tig's gonna rouse charisma and then he succeed and then he's going to use feral whispers feral whispers try to try to put the fear of Tig into these snakes pretty much Go ahead, roll for me. Critical seven. Critical seven? Hmm. Right, I'm still going to roll for them anyway. Sure. They can't beat seven, but I want to see how many successes they do get. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Tig, as the snakes continue to, as more snakes continue to drop down from the roof above one by one, the ones that are already on the floor the ones that are already coalescing into a ball of scales and fangs in the centre of the room fix their eyes upon you, what do you do? I'll command them to eat the ones that are falling from the ceiling <laughs> they open their mouths then I'll motion everyone else to the back of the room, back up myself, and go, Really, Mike? This is Saturday fucking morning. This is like <laughs> Flash Gordon, Ming the Merciless. You have a snake room. Oh, the fuck has a snake room? <laughs> the ball of fangs and tongues lets out a hiss as about half of them immediately break off and begin setting upon the other snakes dropping out of the room. But there are more coming. There's 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 snakes in this room, and yet more coming by the second handfuls of snakes, some larger, some smaller than the others, falling out of the holes, dropping into the room, bearing their fangs and coalescing into several smaller swarms around the perimeter of the room. What's everyone else doing? Uh, Wolf is furiously going to try and pick the lock. Of the door to get right back out there. Yeah, well, this counts He's leaving, as an action. If possible. This counts as an action to get to safety. So go ahead and make me a Dex Larceny check. But you also have Rush Job, don't you? Uh, I do. 
So if you'd like, you can make a rouse check to add your celerity to the dice pool. Uh, he gets hungrier. Uh, that is a success of six. Success of six. All right, we'll get to that in a moment. Marion, what are you doing? Uh, come back to me. All right. Cat, what are you doing? Uh, there's a desk in the room, right? There is a desk in the room, right in the middle of the room. You'll have to get past that central swarm of snakes to get to it, but Tig seems to have stirred them into a frenzy. They're ripping each other's guts out coiling over each other. She's going to make a break for it from the desk. Get on top of it. Get on top of the desk. All right. And Bouncer, what are you doing? Uh, does there appear to be any other doors in the room, or is it just the one we came through? Just the one. Mm. That said, if you like, I will allow you to make a wits investigation check to see if there's anything you notice. Yeah, yeah, she's assuming there was someone in this room, and now they're not, so there must be another door somewhere. Yeah, reasonable assumption to make. Also, the snakes raining from the ceiling is just really cliche. (laughs) (laughs) Wits Investigation, you said? Wits Investigation. Right, so I'm going to arouse Wits. Success, so I don't get hungry. Success? Uh, I'm going to re-roll that, it's just sad. <laughs> eh, brings it up to two successes. Two successes. You quickly scan the room, trying to see past all the snakes that are still even now dropping out of the room. Soon there's going to be a hundred or more in this tiny little office. And behind the desk, there's a bookshelf. It's high enough that the top of it brushes against the ceiling. The bookshelf is filled with unmarked, is lined with unmarked, cardboard folders, but that's not what you're interested in. You notice at the base of the bookshelf a long streak, a scratch mark cut into the floorboard indicating that this bookshelf has been moved and probably several times. With that in mind, Bouncer, what would you like to do? Oh yeah. Uh, noticing that she's just gonna go just yeah sloppy sloppy and then just try and get to the yeah get there once get open that <laughs> open the secret the door yep yeah all right so i would like uh bouncer and cat to go ahead and make dexterity athletics checks for me would my soaring leap be able to help with this oh yeah if you want you can just leap across the room and yeah. That way you won't have to defend against the snakes at all. You just go straight for it. Yeah. So Bouncer 
bends her legs and takes off, leaping across the room, batting yet more falling snakes out of her way as she lands behind the desk. But Cat, you don't have that power, so you're going to have to make it on foot, trying to dart around the piles of snakes as they rear up, ready to strike fending off yet more that are dropping down onto your shoulders and onto your neck. You're going to go ahead and make a dex athletics roll for me none the same. I got a two, uh, success two. Success of two, very well. Uh, let me see. Success of two. And I will be removing some dice from the dice pool because Tig's stirred up some of the snakes, the first batch of them that fell out of the roof into a frenzy. How many successes was that, Cat? Sorry? Two. Two? That will be four successes from the snakes. You manage to get to the desk and scramble up on top of it, but as you do, you feel a sharp pain coming from your ankle, another from the back of your neck. You reach up just in time to wrench the snakes away, toss them across the room, and their fangs are dug in so deep that as you rim rip them away, they wrench flesh, peel back your skin, and you take two points of superficial damage. Meanwhile, Marion, what are you doing? Oh, this, she's so unequipped to deal with this situation. Um, if you want, if you want, I'll carry you across. <laughs> okay, I'm drawing a fan out of that later. <laughs> would you like to? Would you like to hold your action because there's something coming up? You might actually be equipped oh, to deal. You're with. a sweetheart. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, Marion, so you're just going to try and like get to the edge of the room, try to fend off the snakes as much as you can. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll let, I'll let Tig carry her. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so you're gonna try to get closer to Tig. Go ahead, Marion, make me a dex athletics check, please. Oh, that just her best roll. Uh, two successes. Two successes. You see Tig in the middle of the room, his mouth open, hissing and roaring from breath to breath, stirring the snakes into a frenzy, and you rush towards him, darting over snakes that are coiling over themselves, sinking their fangs into each other. The floorboards are already painted red with the carpet, already painted red with the blood of several carpet pythons and tiger snakes that have rent ripped each other to shreds in the frenzy and just as you're about to make it to Tig you hear a hiss and a rattle and a single large King Brown uncoils off the floor wrapping around your arm and singing its fangs in. You take two points of superficial damage as it rolls six successes but I'm now going to take Tig's Animal Whispers into account. Tig, go ahead and roll me a Charisma Animal Ken, please. Let's see if you can do a Red Sea here and part the snakes. Moses' powers activate. Three successes. Three successes. Tig, seeing Marion grappling with a snake, rushes forwards. He opens his mouth and lets out a great roar. And Marion, you instantly feel the snake curled around your arm. Ease up. You grit your teeth, grab it, and 
like you're holding a dirty diaper, just sort of lift it up by its tail and drop it onto the floor as you dart over towards Tig. Several more snakes arc up, hissing, ready to strike you, and Tig roars again. They scatter, setting upon each other instead. And then, there's a loud click as Wolf's lockpicks. Yeah, I know, I know what the Banu Hakim, um, I know what the Banu Hakim compulsion is glitch, but I rolled for a generic compulsion in this case. Yeah, not a clan compulsion. Um, yeah, so he didn't get a clan compulsion. Because yeah. sometimes, because sometimes you don't get a clan compulsion, sometimes you just get a generic one. And... Wolf, you feel the lockpick in your hand find the mechanism it's looking for. You feel something loosen up and then there's a click as the door finally unlocks. You motion for the others to come join you at the door, Wolf, and then you step forwards, pushing the door open as Marion and Tig rush up behind you and... Find yourself face to face with the same ghoul from the lobby. His mouth twisted in a sinister smile. And as he sees you piling through the door, he reaches his hand into his jacket, reaching for a stake-shaped bulge. <laughs> okay, uh, does Marion notice that? Marion notices it. She's face to face with him. Okay. She says, shove that in your leg. <laughs> so, this will be the first use of your terminal decree, I think. Yes, it will. Go ahead, make a rouse check. She does not get hungrier. Does not get hungrier. Very good for her. All right, Marion, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and make me... A manipulation plus dominate check. And Which is nine dice for the record. Nine dice. Yeah. And I don't six fancy successes. Chances. Six successes. He grits his teeth as he rips the stake free, raises it, and he's about to charge towards you when suddenly, suddenly he's sinister smile twists into into a wince into the look of someone waging an internal battle that's over in a fraction of a second and he lets out a yelp as he slams the stake into his right leg driving it in as far as it will go he screams in pain as Almost the entirety of the stake is driven into his calf, leaving only the tip. Blood begins to gush forth, staining the staining the right leg of his suit. So Tig's going to reach out and toss him into the snake room. Yeah, <laughs> the blood pooling around his foot. Tig steps forwards, grabs him by the scruff, and as he screams in fear and pain, tosses him into the room. You hear, you hear a hundred hisses as the snakes converge upon him, and he lets out a scream. The boy's new friend, in fear whispers. Then Tig will reach out, grab a few snakes, and have a snack as he walks out the door. <laughs> 
So you, you might... so you've put Marion down now then? Uh sure. Yeah. <laughs> she she, she <laughs> says uh Or on the floor. Elaine's a lucky person. Oh, yeah. She, she'd be blushing if she could. I'm the lucky Tig one. Just, Tig just looks at you up from a snake that is drained of blood as the <laughs> bloodless snake just dangles from his hand and there's blood on his fangs. He smiles. So, Tig, you grab a handful of snakes on the way out. You may reduce your hunger by two. So this is where I reveal to the audience that I've had that for four yeah, sessions now. Cree. So... Bouncer and Cat, you're still in the room. Cat's standing on the desk and she's trying to fend off the snakes. And Cat, as you're kicking snakes off the corner of the desk with the tip of your shoes, you see Tig grab somebody from the door outside, hurl them into the room, and that man screams as 50, 60 snakes converge upon him and begin tearing the flesh from his face, from his arms, from his hands. And the whole time he just screams bloody murder. You look There's over your distraction. You look yeah, over your uh, shoulder. That's her cue. She's going to make a break for the door. That's right. Meanwhile, Bouncer, what are you doing? Trying to get this shelf out of the way, or are you going to join the others and make a break for the door? Uh, I feel like in the heat of things, she probably hasn't noticed, and so yeah, is going to try and <laughs> wrench open this case door. <laughs> wrench open the case door, yeah. So, you've got two ways you can do this. Would you like to try to push it out of the way, or would you like to just use your wrecking ball to smash it to bits? Uh, I'll try and pull it open on whatever hinge it has in here. Alright, go ahead and make me a strength athletics check. Ah, uh, yes, she does have to rouse for prowess. Up to you if you want to risk getting hungrier. Yeah. Fail, so I do get hungrier. Ooh, what hunger are you at? Uh, three, unless I gained any before I joined. I will, yeah, it's the same, it hasn't gone up. I will mm. keep that in mind. <laughs> How many successes do you get, Bouncer? Strength Athletics, was it? Yep, Strength Athletics. Oh, six. Six. So, behind you, you hear Cat scream as she leaps off the desk. You hear her footsteps as she runs across the room, ducking around the snakes. The screams of that ghoul still ringing out, occasionally mixed in with gurgles. <laughs> as he struggles to draw a breath as he desperately, fruitlessly fights off the living carpet of snakes that's utterly engulfed him. And then you feel the bookshelf give. You hear a click and slide it along the little groove dug into the floor. And on the other side, 
There's a tiny little alcove, just big enough for someone to step inside and stand perfectly still. And it's currently occupied. As you slide the bookshelf away, you find yourself face to face with a pale-skinned man with long disheveled shoulder-length dirty blonde hair. He's wearing a very tight, figure-hugging white suit. Little golden unks emblazoned into the lapel and the breast pocket, and he's wearing another one around his neck for good measure, at least twice the size of the one the ghoul was wearing. And as... He sees the bookshelf slide away, and as he sees Bouncer standing there, her dress lopsided, her eyes bloodshot, clearly in the throes of hunger, he smiles, and he says, Ah, I've got what you need, love. He rips his right sleeve down and proffers his wrist. And he's going to activate his entrancement. Bouncer, I'd like you to go ahead and make me a Composure Plus Wits check. Uh, Wits will still be boosted, so that's good. Bad roll, but is it good enough? Yeah, I'll stick with it. Uh, five successes. Five successes? Very close. As he uh. rolled six successes, he smiles, revealing immaculate mirror sheen white teeth. He, his tongue seductively caresses his bottom lip as he proffers his fist in your face and oh, you give in, the beast roars. Yes, yes. And you take his fist and sink your fangs in. You may reduce your hunger by one. But you are a stage bloodbound to Marcus the Setite. As you finish drinking and as you, as your faculties return and you pull yourself together, wrench his fist away from your face. He smiles. See? See? We don't mean any harm. We've got what you need. Oh, there you are, mate. Behind you, the ghoul lets out one last scream as the snakes rip the last of his life away. And then, out there in the hallway, as Wolf's about to lead Tig and Marion and Cat back downstairs, the door opposite this one, on the opposite side of the hallway, is flung open and outstrides someone who only Tig has seen before. 
that white businesswoman's attire, short cut, casual business casual with short cut, pen, mini pencil skirt, vibrant blonde hair, lovely blue eyes, and proffering a business card for G Town Art Gallery in her hand is Meredith. She smiles. Mr. Dunsern, we've been expecting you. you. You've passed the test. Please join me in my office. And she gestures over her shoulder towards the room behind her. Of course. You have a snake room. You have no idea how much this makes me laugh. Oh, I Bouncer, come on then. Real boss showed up. (laughs) You see Bouncer step out of the room looking decidedly unimpressed with what's just happened. She's scowling. One of her fangs biting into her bottom lip, clearly upset with herself as Marcus steps out of the room behind her, clasps a hand over her shoulder like an old friend, pulls the door. Go ahead. Oh, before Marcus comes out, take us. Oi, Meredith, do you like his cunt? Points at Marcus. My child, Marcus. All right. Marcus nods and smiles as he pulls the door to the snake room shut behind him, leaving the snakes to their gruesome feast. He shrugs. (sighs) You got a bit of bad blood with us. Thought we'd, uh, see just how serious you were about talking with us tonight. No hard feelings, huh? This is the funniest shit I've seen in my life. I'm too busy laughing to have hard feelings. I will say at this point, Wolf, your composure subsides. You're no longer under threat by all those snakes, but you're still feeling a bit on edge as these two Sedites are clearly not to be trusted. Smug smile on his face, Marcus turns to Marion and says, Good job on my, uh, ghoul, by the way. Don't worry, no harm done. Plenty more where he came from, but I gotta say, impressive. Yeah, well... Your friend Bouncer here has already made a show of good faith and indulged in some of our services, so I suppose that puts us on good enough grounds to talk the rest of this out like civilised adults. He flourishes towards his sire and Meredith smiles back at him and says, Please, join me in my office. You shuffle into the little office she indicates. It's no bigger than the other one that poses... The the other one, the snake room. And just like that one, there's a single desk in this one. Nowhere to sit. Standing room only. She makes herself immediately at home in the plush office chair, spinning around once, twice, and then putting her feet up on the desk. You've met my child, Marcus, she says. He controls the uh, side of our coin that peddles earthly temptations. Me, down at the art gallery, I handle temptations of the mind and spirit. 
but they're two sides of the same coin, you understand. Now, she says, tell me why you are here. Last time, my clan crossed paths with your coterie, you were about to throw us to the wolves. You were about to tell the Baron of the Anarchs that we killed a warlord. Not to mention all that unpleasant business with Barry Lovelace and his pushing for the warlord position and... Well, you completely... Uh, screwed the pooch on all of our plans! To be fair, you screwed the pooch the minute you got in bed with Barry. He's... Now, now, Mr. Dunson, says Has, uh, has Marion had the pleasure of Barry's acquaintance? Nah, I wouldn't think she has, but she would have heard secondhand from the Coterie the events of that story, though. Mm. But she'll know enough about Barry that this next comment would probably rankle her a bit. Meredith simply smiles and says, Now, now, Mr. Dunson, you've no uh, reason to judge Mr. Lovelace. After all, remember what I said at the time. One gangrel to another gangrel, you're essentially blood brothers, and you said, I recall, you're nothing like him, and yet I've heard through the grapevine that you've since embraced your own wife and ghouled your child. So, really, I must ask, how different from Barry are you? Are you not one and the same at this point? Seems like an awful waste all we went through all those months ago, don't you think? Marion's brow furrows, but she lets Tig feel that one. All due respect, if you can't tell the difference between us, that's more of a comment on your perception, really, than my personal integrity. Ah, but that said, that's what under the bridge. Really, your problem was you... But whatever you did with Barry, he came after us, so we had to handle Barry. The business with you, it, we dropped once it became clear it wasn't no part of anything we really had much to do with. Sure, says Meredith. So in that case, you'll kindly explain to me why you are systematically hunting down and murdering my child's business partners. That's the interesting thing. We ain't. Marcus clears his throat, he loudly scoffs, and he says, Well, who bleeding hell is then? Because last I heard, Sam Stokes and Andrea Church used to run together. And aren't you all lot her all her lapdogs? Aren't you just... She, she tells you to jump, you ask how high. I certainly know that's what this creepy little fucker does, and he points at Wolf. Yeah. Tig size looks at the others. You on handle this. Explanation is gonna take a while. I'm tired of talking. <sighs> See, Marcus says, smiling, leaning back against the door, crossing his arms to make clear that he's that the Sedites are not about to leave you out of this office till their business with you is done. See, you had that bad blood with Meredith all those months ago, the whole Barry thing, and we was willing to live and let live. And then 
suddenly, Andrea makes good on her threat. She starts coming after our business partners. Now, my business is going downhill. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know, more importantly, how I'm going to recruit more lovely lost souls to send over to the gallery to getting acquainted with Meredith here. And, well, last I heard, Andrea and Sam, they go back a long way, and you're the ones who do Sam's dirty work, so put two and two together, you're the ones been knocking off my business partners. But if you've got an alternate explanation, I'm happy to hear it. He shrugs. Explanations are why we're here. And Ms. Dunstan, was it? He says. That's right. He holds out a hand. He says, uh, Marcus Lector at your service. Don't believe she we've had the pleasure of meeting. She takes it and she says, just call me Marion. So, uh, Marion, I understand you don't usually run with this coterie. You've got that degree of separation between... Well, we've been affiliated for a while now, but yes. So, I'll, uh, as a show of good faith, give you the time of night, as it were. If... This is all a big misunderstanding, and your coterie is not indeed responsible for making a move against mine and my sire's business. Please, feel free to illuminate us. Well, there's not a whole lot much more to say than they aren't. We have absolutely nothing to do with it. In fact, we were just assigned by our beloved Samantha to investigate the situation ourselves. So you're looking into the murders, masquerade yeah. breach and all, right? Yeah. Let's say I believe this for a moment. He peers across the room, exchanges a glance with his sire and she nods and then he continues. Let's say I believe this for a moment. You understand both of the murder victims so far. Carl Thrush was my main business partner. He was making the methamphetamine and then I was putting Vitae in it. Not enough to ghoul anybody, but enough to give it a kick, you know, make it a bit more addictive. With him gone, my main source of income is completely off the table and the other guy, Simon Drummer, the, the football kid, the, the one who was rough with girls, well, we'd recently employed him to cover a debt he had to us by hawking some of the shit over at the uni campus. So that's two for two of those victims. Two for two of the victims are people directly affiliated with us. And not sure if you've been made aware, but uh, another one of our dealers girl on the streets who uh, makes inroads with the uh, with our lovely unhoused population uh, has failed to report in for uh, her supplies tonight so I'm suspecting there's been a third murder and that would be three for three well there's our alibi well what were you doing when she disappeared then What's your elbow? You tonight? On our way here. Mm. And your way here. Alright. Sure. 
let's say I'm let, let's say I'm slowly opening up to the fact that you were just told to investigate all this. What I want to know is what's Sam's stake in this? Why does she want you to put a stop to something her buddy is doing in the first so, place? The way Sam tells it to us is that she and Andrea have been on the outs for a while. On the outs, you say? <laughs> I suppose that would make sense. After all, back with the whole Barry thing, Meredith clears her throat and she says, Yes, I believe it was Samantha Stokes who uh, set you against us at that time, was it not? Marcus nods and he says, Right. So then, see, we thought at the time that maybe she just didn't know Andrea was involved. But maybe she knew Andrea was involved and that's why she got you guys to scupper the whole Barry thing? Am I on the right track? We'd have to know how Andrea was involved precisely. We never got all the details there. What was she doing? <laughs> We're not going to give you the information for free. All right. Marcus laughs. How about a dumpster full of methamphetamines? Carl's shit. Yeah, we found it. He said he had another shipment to come. He was meant to come drop it off tomorrow, but I presume it was lost after he bit the bullet. You presumed wrong. You'd have to go pick it up. But if you tell us what Andrew was doing, we'll give you the address. So you got it, huh? All right. Yep. All right. Well, I shall defer to my sire in case she has any requests of her own. Meredith smiles, tapping her feet against the surface of the desk, and she says, Indeed I do. I want to know a piece of information intimate in return for the one we're about to give. I want to know what your stake is in this. Because, see, you came here awful fast. You seemed to know what you were looking for, and you know us Sedites, we're good at reading people. It seemed very clear to me that something's on your mind, and maybe you're not quite sure whether you're doing Sam's dirty work or whether you should be helping her at all. So, you want us to lay our cards out on the table. Why don't you go ahead and lay yours down too? How do we out of here? Give us a moment. Because this is something that affects all of us, yeah? She shrugs. But she doesn't order her child to stand aside and let you out of the office. Instead, she simply gestures as if to say, go ahead. Alright, mates, you know what else we can trade with her? Do we tell her or do we trade? What's your feelings on? What's this you're talking about? We got something we can trade with her. Rather than telling her what a thing is. I mean, I don't think there's any real downside to the trade as long as they're discreet. That's the thing. Oh, we know discreetness, says Marcus. 
Uh, she would have said that very much under her breath, but if, if, they, if you heard that, then fair enough. That's the thing, is there's never any guarantee that of discretion with this. I mean, you let a secret out into the world, and God knows where it ends up. So I'd rather trade, but... You're, so you're saying, tell? Alright, what are your feelings on it, Bouncer? For the record, Paradox, Tig's mm. referring to whether you should tell the Sedites about the memory, about the fact that uh. this is potentially very personal, or try to trade a boon or something instead. Mm. See, see, we got to know we can trust just as Marcus. He gestures towards Cat. He says... Because you've got Andrea Church's fledgling tagging around with you now. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? He smiles at Cat. You remember her, don't you? The, the, the girl who did this to you? I'm very interested to know how you know about that. Never mind about that. And, well, I'll field this to you, Cat. You know that usually a kindred and a sire, well, what their relationship is like, right? That that the fledgling spends their first decade, maybe their first two decades, uh, doing everything their sire asks of them, as is the duty, right? I guess. So we've got Andrea's fledgling here, and we have, he points at Wolf, Sam's little attack dog, weird butler, who fixes up all her messes, makes evidence and people disappear. To be forthcoming, you've got to understand, it doesn't look like you're very trustworthy at the moment. You make a convincing argument, but my counter-argument is that you're a satite. <laughs> oh shit. Touche, says Marcus, smiling. I mean, to be fair, you got a fucking snake room. Come on now. Um, mm. <sighs> all right. Bouncer, what do you think? Trade or talk? Want me to come back to you? Yeah, I say we try to talk first. All right. R so, really? That's two for telling the Wait. secret. Wolf, what's your feeling on it? No, was talk was talk telling the secret or not? Yeah, yeah. talk was telling the secret. Oh no, trade first. All right, so that's trade. two for trade, we'll one the, for telling. Yeah, use talk as a like absolute last card. All right, Wolf, what's your feeling on it? Trade, trade or secret? And you heard what I just said. The satites, nothing okay, they can yeah. say or do. Oh, that's yeah, you know the rest. For trade, uh, sorry, cat. Even if you vote talk, you wouldn't. Your vote wouldn't carry. All right. Counteroffer. In lieu of personal secrets, how about a minor boon from somebody influential? Who? Prince. Really? Both of the Sedites raised their eyebrows. And what? she'd, uh, she'd make good on it? She gave it me. I'll give it you. Don't have a choice, that's how pre-station works, ne? I suppose we do already have 
one of your number bloodbound, at least temporarily, to us. And at this, Meredith smiles, and she peers straight at Bouncer, and she says, This is all above board, isn't it? There isn't anything potentially important that your, you, or your coterie are holding back, is there? Back at you. Bouncer, I would Mm. like you, if you would like to, if you would like to fight against the blood bond and back up Tig and Wolf and say there's nothing that these Sedites shouldn't know about, I will be asking you to go ahead and make for me a composure plus resolve check. Okay. Don't forget you can boost if you wanna. Yeah. If you wanna. Because you are a stage bloodbound to You are a stage bloodbound to Marcus and by yeah. extension Meredith right now. So that's first stage bloodbound. That's a that's like a, a set success level, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's only you only need two successes. Hey, you've got willpower, so maybe you don't need to boost. Who knows? And it was I only I only reduced one hunger when I fed him, didn't I? Yes, I only reduced yeah. one. Yeah, still willpower left. So we'll see how I go. Yeah. Composure resolve. Oh, two successes. There you go. Two successes. No. Simply shrug. No. We have things to trade, but information? No. We're in in the dark as much as you are. Marcus nods. Seems to be satisfied. He shrugs. Says, okay. Two boons from the prince, if you're certain that she will uphold them. And two? All right. But you if you got one, you've on certainly got a second. <sighs> Somebody wanted... Two? You think this is two? Tig looks to Marion. Marion, you wanted to talk some sense into him, a.k.a. bargain. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I really, really do. Two is far too much. For the information we're going to give you that divulges into our very personal and secret business Two matters. is too much. I mean, just by talking, we're also going to tell you the appearance of the person who's been murdering your junkies, so you'll get something out of that too. Marion, make me a charisma and either etiquette or manipulation role. Manipulation. Charisma and manipulation. Two attributes. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or you can make a charisma etiquette roll. Sure, I'll take the attributes. Uh, that's five. Five? I'm going to roll for Meredith and Marcus here, separately for each. Marcus nods and he says... Maybe two'd be pushing our luck. It is, is the prince, after all, and as uh, as 
Mr. Banu Hakim so uh, so aptly pointed out, we, we are setites. You know, maybe best to start small and then Marion frowns, shaking her head. No! If, it, if not two boons, then one boon and... Her eyes flare up as her gaze settles upon Cat. Andrea's fledgling as compensation. What? <laughs> you have to be joking. Tell me, fledgling, do you know who your sire is? I mean, I guess... Besides no. the point, Cat, you don't have to answer that. You don't get to trade in lives. Oh, you misunderstand, says Meredith. We don't mean final death. We mean... She smiles, winking at Cat, and she says... Please, I understand this is a very personal question, but tell us about your embrace. I understand it wasn't the most uh, pleasant night you've ever had to go through. Is anyone's? Some more than I don't others. Really... Some of us I have don't... the privilege of choosing when we attend. Yes, for some of us it just happens and we have to live with it. And, so I would, and I would say that uh, the majority of us don't have to claw our way out of a pile of corpses as our first act as a vampire. Look, I know what you're doing. She's not the weak link you're looking for here. You misunderstand me again! I, mis I misunderstand nothing. You're very, frankly, very open about your conduct. Just I'm uh, merely well. offering the fledgling here, a chance to, after what you've been through, if it happened to me, I would want to avenge myself upon my maker. Is that what you desire, Cat? I don't... I don't know. Do you no. take her for a simpleton? This is ridiculous. She's what? Been like this a month? She's been alive a lot longer than a month. She's not an idiot. Well, if she's I'm not, not speaking as, about her as though she's not in the room. Cat, you don't have to deal with this. Yes, yeah, I, I concur, hey. says Meredith. If she, if she's not an idiot, then she can make her own choices. I'm not interested. Not interested. No. Even though, even if we offered you the power, the influence, the means you needed to get back at Andrea, to get back at the one who put you through the most traumatic thing you've ever experienced, who even now has left you to deal with this curse, has made you a monster. What do you know of it? You're talking about this like... Like, you understand what I'm thinking, what I'm going through. Go ahead, Cat. Make mm. me a charisma persuasion check or etiquette, and you may add your presence. Higgs squints at Meredith. 
while this goes on. Right, are you going to try to intimidate her, Tig? No! Tig boosted with wits and he's doing an inside of three. Mm. Andrea screwed them over, didn't she? It certainly seems so. They're looking uh, for the... means of getting back at her. Go ahead, Cat. Uh, what was the first check? It was charisma. Uh, charisma plus either presence or etiquette. And I you was may under the I'm sorry. I was playing under the assumption that Marion uh, got that intuitively. Go yeah. on, sorry. No, I think Marion would get it intuitively. Um, uh, and you may add your presence, Cat, because I presume you've got your awe on. You've had it on this whole time. Yeah. Uh, charisma present. Wait. Charisma plus either persuasion or etiquette, and you may oh, add your presence. Oh, okay. As extra yeah, dice. Got it. Uh, success one. Success one. What would we know about it? She says. Well, I can tell you what we do know. We know that even though you've only been in this state for a month, you already know how to throw your presence around, and you already know how to get people to do what you want. And so let's dispense with all formalities here. You are a bally. Wait, what? An infernalist. And unless you want the court of G-Town Cam and Anarx alike to find out, then you will help us get at your sire. Do you understand? Oh, does this salesman in a tweed suit stick ever work? Oh my god, Andrea fucked you over totally, didn't she? So does anyone have any dots in a cult? Oh, uh, Marion has one. Really? I, I know you one. do, Cat, but yours probably wouldn't apply in this case, but yeah. Marion, yeah, you, you can pick it up quickly a bit. You can go ahead and make an intelligence occult check, Marion, if you oh, like. Uh, I'm gonna reroll. Three. Three. The Bawley. You've only heard the name once. Decades ago, when your sire was telling you that there are limits to who the Giovanni would deal with. That... As much as the Giovanni seek out and enslave wraiths, peddle the peddle these beings of the Shadowlands as if they were puppets and tools to be bandied about, that that what the Giovanni does is still nothing compared to what the Borli do. Vampires who consort with demons, who serve them, who sacrifice human and kindred alike in the name of masters that they could never understand, masters that seek to turn this world into their own personal hell. Did you honest, you're not honestly trying to tell us that there's a Bali in the upper ranks of the Geelong Camry. I, I really. Andrea Church is a Bali. As was Samantha Stokes, an apostate, however, embraced La Sombra, brought into the clan by the rights. Oh, come They off were it. part of the. Trina, this is for our benefit. They're trying to undermine you. They were part of a coven that operated in these parts back in the 1940s. 
And yes, Sam Stokes made us, made everyone believe that she had called it quits, renounced her infernalist ways, returned to being a La Sombra and nothing more, and Andrea Church disappeared into the night until now. Until six and you mean ago. to try and tell me that active devil worshipping has been going on right beneath the noses of a clan of Oblivion Masters? Oh, not right under your nose, of course, says Meredith. It's all secret, as is their way. See, Andrea herself, she re-emerged, returned in this domain six months ago, and, well... It doesn't matter to us what demon she consorts with. After all, who are we to judge the sins of others? But she approached us with a deal, and that deal was that she would make this domain more hospitable to Set's children if we helped her lay the groundwork for her big comeback. It was she who uh, dispatched of the last Anarch Warlord. It was she who suggested propping Barry Lovelace up for the position. And she said that if we failed her, that she would make us pay. She was very clear about that. And that's what she's doing now. Do you understand? Ugh, don't be ridiculous. I'd like to note for the record that uh, Marion... Marion's uh, disbelief of this is only half sincere. She's she's definitely taking this on board, but she's not going to give him the bargaining chip. Was by, by any chance was she the one who suggested yeah Barry target one of us with that old New Year's scam? It's on us, says Meredith. At the time, we perhaps mistakenly believed that Samantha and Andrea. We're still in cahoots. Obviously, Samantha is going to make the court believe that she and Andrea are no longer friends. She's a La Sombra, but she'd rather be a La Sombra than a known Bali, correct? So we thought that perhaps you would be unlikely allies. That was a mistake on our part. And based on your reaction and the things you've said tonight, we're willing to believe... Meredith pauses for a moment. We're willing to believe that you're not responsible for the attacks against my child's business partners. However, we question the motive of Samantha Stokes sending you in particular, to be the ones to get to the bottom of it and cover it up. So the price is one minor boon and Cat goes and gets vengeance on Andrea. Cat? We... It's the choice is yours. You can accept this or we can trade another minor boon. However, I suggest you accept it. And uh, because of this... Thing I'm going to show you that they can't see. And Tick pulls out like an old notepad, writes something on it. 
carefully shows it to Kat and Kat, and the notepad says, because we're going to fucking do it anyway. Okay. Now, now it's, your, it's your call, though. Boone or taking up this task. If you do mean to avenge yourself against your sire, we could furnish you with the power, the influence, the training, anything you require. Just make sure you remember who gave it to you. I don't recommend you take them up on that, though. I'll go with you. She lets out a big sigh at that. Um, to get back at her. But I'm not interested in what you're offering. Other than that. But you're not secretly doing your sire's handiwork. We can be sure of that? Yes. Fine. It's a deal. Not the deal I'd like, nor would my sire like. Marcus just frowns, shrugs, but it will do. Ah, Marcus, if you please. Marcus clears his throat and he says, So, uh, my sire Meredith has laid most of it down. Andrea Church and Samantha Stokes were too bawly. Barley. Bawly. I've heard all sorts of pronunciations. I've heard Americans say barley. I, I've heard Americans say bar, barley. I've heard Europeans say bawly. Take as you wish. We can simply refer to them as infernalists. Andrea Church is one by blood, embraced into the bloodline. She met Samantha Stokes longer. You know Samantha Stokes is a La Sombra, right? Do you know of the association between the La Sombra and the Sabbat? Well, doesn't matter if you do. Needless to say, there was a time long before there was a truce between the Anarchs and Prince Aveline that this city didn't take kindly, didn't look kindly on anyone of any clan that may have associated with the Sabbat. So Samantha needed all the friends she would she could get. It just so happened that Andrea noticed this reached out to her, brought her into the fold, and they became thick as thieves, and then suddenly, suddenly, the war happens. Squizzy from Melbourne backs Aveline to come in here, the Cam try to take control, neither side's able to fight the other one off, we get the truce. Half of the city for the Cam, half of the city for the Anarchs. Now, suddenly, Suddenly there are new people in the Domain, and they could potentially be Samantha's friends. And as a La Sombra, she has a lot to offer to the Cam, so... Before long, she becomes Prince Aveline's advisor. Cements herself as the Consul, the go-between between the Camarilla and the Anarchs. Cam in name, but in name only. And suddenly, suddenly she's one of the most influential people in the Domain! But she has no need for Andrea anymore, so she leads everyone to believe, cuts off ties with her, and threatens to expose Andrea unless she leaves the Domain. 
So Andrea's gone. 40, 50 years, until she comes back and decides that she wanted to finish the work that she started. What do you all know about Cowie's Bay? The, the Pentex platform, Marcus asks. That's Dawkins' thing, yeah? Elliot Dawkins. Once Cam, child of the Ventru Primogen, lured over to the Anarch so that they may have control of Pentex. Now, who do you think brokered that little arrangement? He glances over at Meredith. He says, and who do you think reached out to us to make it happen? Meredith smiles and she says, there's a thing in Cowie's Bay, a demon or an entity, something that's been asleep for a very long time. And when Andrea and Sam used to run together, the reason they were in this city in the first place was because they were trying to awaken it, devote themselves to it like crazy cultists out of a 1930s adventure novel or something. Clearly the thing in the bay is not going to reward them in the way they think it will, but... Infernalists, she shrugs. They know not the masters that they serve. So she's back. And she's been slowly, systematically spreading chaos throughout this city, making a shambles of the kindred and the kind alike, so that that thing in the bay begins to stir. And when it does, Andrea is there to receive it. Is that the information that you were looking for? Half of it. We also need to know what you know about a woman who looks like this. And Tig describes her. The 4x4 four four lady. The two setites exchange glances, knowing glances, and they smile. Meredith pulls herself back into her chair, extracts her feet from the surface of the desk, and she raises a finger telling you to wait for a moment as she rifles through the desk drawer. After a few moments, she fishes out an old Polaroid photo, flips it around, and there, Tig, you see the face of that woman staring back at you, only she's not middle age. She's younger. Early 20s. Smiling with genuine happiness. Her eyes her eyes telling you that she's completely naive to the darkness that will one day consume her. Recognize her? She says. Uh, looks like a younger version. Mayhaps you recognize her brother, Michael. She reaches into the desk, extracts a second photo, and smiling, a broad smile flips it around. And it's the face from the billboard, the face of the man you killed 22 years ago.
Wolf, Tig, and Bouncer. I'd like you to go ahead and make me a manipulation, an intelligence plus resolve roll. Ah, uh, that's two from Wolf. Two from Wolf. Tig, that's bouncer. Two. two from Tig. Just gonna bounce up. Resolve. Damn five. Intelligence plus resolve has to be bigger than that. Oh, you're boosting. Uh, boosting. Yeah, I was boosting yeah. resolve. Oh, good idea. Uh, three successes. Three successes. So that's at least six between you, enough to beat Samantha Stokes's Dominate. Two. And as the two faces on the two Polaroids glance at you, this woman, the one who Tig is reasonably sure is the killer, and her brother, that man who died, who was ripped to shreds, by five fresh-faced vampires in a hotel penthouse 22 years ago. As they glance back at you, you feel your mind stirring, being pulled back to another time. 22 years ago, mid-July 1999, Wolf, Tig, Bouncer, Mitch, and Val are seated around a table in the restaurant on the ground floor of the Colonial Hotel. As the restaurant buzzes with activity and warm bodies all around you, you huddle together, helping each other, willing each other's beasts to settle down, to fight against the urges, the urges to feed that have built up in you. You haven't learnt to hunt. You've been kindred for a couple of months each. And up until now, you've been relying on blood procured either by Sam or your sires. She's deliberately kept you from feeding, and you're not sure why. She tells you it's because there are things you have to learn. There are things you have to master. You have to learn to control your powers. You have to learn to think like a predator and not a monster. And you're all so hungry tonight. All so very hungry as you huddle together, as the warm bodies talk and act lively around you, as the restaurant flourishes with activity. Tig, how have you been stopping yourself from giving in to the urges? Every time it gets bad, Tig will rub his wedding ring and remember his family. Almost like and you can remember hear... why he's doing this, so he can be around them again safely. It's almost like you can hear their heartbeats. Thump, 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 thump. 
And as that thing inside you tells you to take one of them, to just take them and sink your fangs in you, rub your thumb over the surface of your wedding ring, feeling Elaine's name carved into it. Wolf, what kind of life have you lived up until now? You've killed people. You've killed people before you were a vampire. But what stops you from giving in to these urges now? The same thing that stops him always from just killing indiscriminately. There's a time and a place and a correct procedure for things. And it's not now. Just because a voice in the back of your head is telling you to do it doesn't mean you should do it. Bouncer. How are you coping with this insatiable hunger? This thing that you've just had to live with for the last few months of your life, that thing that Sam Stokes has said tonight you will finally learn to control. Basically just by trying to sheer willpower, like, probably unintentionally, like, broken a few bones in her hands just from clenching so hard, trying to ignore it, like, and just almost sort of similar to Tig, just like the thing of, like, having to learn to control it so that she can be around people again without being an immediate threat to them. Her fingernails dug so deeply into the surface of this restaurant table that she's dug trenches into the wood. And... Eden, how do you think Mitch is dealing with this? Oh, God, um... You really jumped me there. I, I wasn't, wasn't prepared for that. Um, I know. I just wanted to have some input. <laughs> oh, you bastard. Um, the gesture in me wants to say poorly, but you know. Oh, Mitch would honestly turn to others. He would project all of his like difficulties onto other people. He'd very Delta Green in that respect. That, that, that if any of these people died, imagine how many, how many destinies would be set awry. All of these people have places they need to be, things they need to do, and he couldn't disrupt that, could he? Your phones vibrate in unison, and you peer down, and there's a text message from Samantha Stokes. Come up to the penthouse, she says, and we'll teach you how to control your urges tonight. You're gonna learn. And so you get up, and not daring to separate, making sure you're all within one pace of each other, making sure that there are other young vampires to your left and right, ready to rein you in should the urges get the better of you. You head towards the exit of the restaurant, begin to make your way towards the penthouse so that you may meet Sam and finally learn, finally learn in her words what it means to be a creature of the night, what separates the monsters from everything else. And if this were Marion's memory, she'd recognize one thing as the young coterie shuffles out of the room 
two Giovanni stand watching from the corner, exchanging knowing glances, Chase and Verity Giovanni. They watch the coterie trail out of the restaurant, head towards the elevator in the lobby, and smile. Looks like Sam's got her eyes set on them, says Chase. Verity nods. Ah, there'll be a lot of mess to clean up tonight. And I suppose we'll have to make sure that no one else finds out what happened here. I think I have the perfect way. She looks over at Chase, raises an eyebrow. Chase looks back at her. Marion! Your ghoul, who you recently embraced. Yes, says Verity. Well, no one can sniff around in the penthouse suite if it's her haven, right? She'll sit on the secret. She won't even know she's doing so. And then, whoosh, another memory. You're back there in the penthouse, the bodies of three innocent victims strewn at your feet. Sam Stokes looks pleased with herself, her arms folded. You've made a bit of a mess, haven't you? She says. I know what you're thinking. Why you? See, I've had this console gig for decades now. I've trained so many fledglings and, well, none of them cut the mustard. Until you, until five of you, all embraced around the same time, all of you with ties to the Anarchs and the Cam, all of you with just the right mix of abilities. So I decided, I decided, hey, I'll bring you into the fold, make sure you know what's up. And with the uh, Giovanni making sure that none of this will ever come to light... When she returns, when she finally returns, you'll be right there ready for her. <laughs> but how are we going to clean this mess, this awful mess that you've made? She says. She looks over at Wolf and she says, Well, you'll be staying behind after we're done here to scrub all the blood and the gore out of the place and, and, and dispose of the bodies. Of course, you'll do that, because if you don't, I'll send you right back to your clan, and they've already killed your sire. They don't like when Banu Hakim embrace outside of the fold. I'll just tell them another Servant of Urshulgi to uh, throw on the pile. So you'll do that for me, won't you, Wolf? How are you going to clean this mess? Go ahead, describe it in detail, exactly what you'll do, so that everyone else here understands perfectly what must be done. Uh, I'm going to gloss over that by saying he does so. Yeah. So Wolf explains in detail how... How he's going to work all night scrubbing the blood off the floors, off the walls, off the counters. And then what's he going to do? Take the bodies to the furnace, old reliable, even back then, I suppose? Uh, he always has a way. 
at the look at all the work you're making poor wolf do. He's going to scrub this whole place, make it spick and span, and then he's going to have to dispose of the bodies. And I've got to make sure nobody realises what evil little monsters you've been tonight, she says. So we've got to make this same routine. Any ideas? I... I have one, says Val, if no one else speaks up. Valerie! Enlighten us. Val, biting her bottom lip, still looking unnerved, still looking shaken, still very obviously racked with the guilt of what's just happened, says, Well, G-Town's violent sometimes. A lot of drugs on the street. Especially at this part of town. A lot of crazies out there. What if... What if we give the papers something to latch onto? A serial killer, maybe. A drug deal gone wrong, a serial killer, someone off their face, someone... Yes, says Sam. But we'll need something ominous, you know. We're already in three for three tonight. Val hangs her head. Four for four? What if... What if we mark them? One, two, three. Four for four. Let the mystery hang. Nobody ever asks anything about it. Just another unexplainable tragedy. Four for four sounds ominous, says Sam. I'll need to pad the statistics. We'll need a fourth, of course. I think Wolf will help with that, but you're on the right track. So, <laughs> looks like, thanks to Sam, thanks to your loving patron, you've been pulled out of the fire. Aren't you all relieved? She flashes a smile. And surely you, you want to repay me, right? After I've gone out on a limb like this for you, Tig, Bouncer, Wolf, you'll make sure you, you do right by me, won't you? We don't really have a choice now, do we? Not at all. But you'll think you did. <laughs> yeah. And then... Can't stop you. Suddenly... The murky penthouse apartment falls away and your minds are once again hurtled through time, decades into the future, and with a lurch... <laughs> You land on your feet in the office at the Pharaoh's Bounty. Marcus and Meredith smiling ear to ear. You recognise the man in the photo, don't you? Says Meredith. 
You might say it, yeah. We'll not pry. We've made a deal. We don't need to know, but... Looks like Sam's, uh... Got an old mess that's coming back to haunt her. So, here are our conditions. We give you this photo of this woman. We tell you where to find her. And instead of us risking ourselves, throwing ourselves into the fire, going after her, trying to get her to pay for what she's done, how she's messed up our business, you go after her instead. And you apprehend her and you bring her to us. What do you say? He's still got his wits boosted. He's gonna scrutinize them hard. Make me a wits insight. And Marion, how many dots in insight do you have? Uh, uh, she has three. So you don't have the context of the memory, but you saw the look on Tig, Bouncer, and Wolf's face. They recognize the man in this photo, and, and by extension, his sister, the woman who's supposedly the killer. And it seems quite clear to you that the Sedites intended for this to happen all along, that they're leveraging something that you don't quite understand to make this personal, to make the Coterie go after this woman so that they don't even have to bother with it. And if that causes any trouble with Sam or Andrea or anyone else, plausible deniability for them, the Coterie will suffer the slings and arrows. Three successes. Onwards. And Tig, you pretty much glean the same. Can't guarantee we're gonna return it to you. If she, we have a use for her, in a way that doesn't hurt you, then we might have to use her for that. So long as she doesn't go back to Andrea, says Marcus. But we really must impress upon you that our preferred course of action would be that you bring her to us so that we may interrogate her, extract whatever information she may have, and deal with her according to Set's doctrine. I can guarantee you she won't be troubling your path after we get a hold of her. But... You know, Andrea mentioned something, Marcus says. Mentioned that when she did make us pay, that she'd draw someone out of the woodwork. Said that she was sure people had contingencies in place, and she knew the perfect way to draw them out into the open. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Tig, Tig shrugs. He smiles, winking in Bouncer's direction. Sure? And Bouncer, I'd like you to make me a Resolve plus Composure check difficulty 2. If you'd like to see all this live for the final time tonight. 
Yeah, I, uh, I boosted resolve early, didn't I? So that should still yeah, be still up. boosted. Yeah. Uh, resolve composure, you said, yeah? Resolve plus composure. Another two successes. Two successes. You just shrug. Nope. Not at all. And Marcus exchanges a glance with his sire. And then finally, he sighs, unfolds his arms and steps away from the door. He grabs the handle, pulls the door open and gestures towards the hallway. You're all free to go. But remember our deal. If you can, bring her to us. Give us about a night to find out, put some ears out, find out where she's hiding, and we'll get back to you. But as soon as we give the word, no delay. Go get her. Bring her to us. And then, hey, any personal problems you have with Sam Stokes or Andrea Church, maybe... Maybe we'll be able to work out a way to help you. I find this agreeable. What are you alright with? Sure. Yeah. And as you step out of the room, the door is pulled shut behind you instantly, and as you step away, I'd like everyone to make me a wits awareness check. Critical seven. Okay. Yeah, just two. Two? And Marion? Uh... Ew. Fail. Fail? And oh, bouncer? Uh, un momento, spending a willpower. Boring. <laughs> oh my man, you had a critical five right there. Uh, a, a messy five. Yeah, messy the critical five. five. So no, I'm not yeah, gonna... I've... I don't know, I'm... but I, I will re-roll it, so it's just two. <laughs> ah, so you're, you're not doing the messy? No. Okay. So, Tig and Marion, you're the only the ones <laughs> with at least four successes, so you're the only ones who hear. As the rest of the coterie moves ahead, making their way down the hallway, past the rooms where all sorts of debauchery is currently taking place, you hear the two Sedites say something from behind the closed door. Meredith's voice, quiet, whispering, rings out. She's the sister. The sister of someone who's been missing 22 years. And they recognised his face. Yes, my sire. I thought it was pretty obvious that either through Sam's machinations or their own, they're the ones who made that guy go missing. Yes. Which means this contingency plan that Andrea mentioned, Sam having sleeper agents or such nonsense ready to attack her and that she draw them out of the woodwork. 
them. Better them than us, though, I think. Don't you agree? I do, my sire. The fact that they didn't reveal anything. What does that tell you? It tells me lots of things. Oh, Marcus. They're still uncertain. Uncertain about where their loyalties lie. And if they're right, and if Sam Stokes really is on the outs with Andrea, then maybe, maybe we have some allies. And so the night comes to an end. By the time you leave the Pharaoh's bounty and step out once more into the vast big box supermarket parking lot, it's about half past three in the morning. Factor in another 40 minute drive back to G-Town proper and whatever time it would take to get to your havens. You've got just enough time to get back before sunrise. But if anyone would like to feed and would like to risk being caught without a place to stay tonight, you may go ahead. Higgle stop and uh, look over to Cap before we separate. Thanks for making that choice. Fact is, though, we would have given up the boon if you wanted, but we're going to have to take down Andre anyway. So the way I saw it, you aren't really giving up anything by swearing vengeance against her. Who's not? Yeah. So. Would anyone like to try and do a rushed feeding before settling down for the day sleep? Or are you going to wait till tomorrow, give yourself um, time to feed safely, but know that you may burn some useful time when the Sedites finally call? Alright, back yeah. home. Oh, Bouncer, I, I presume you're not going to try to hunt before you return to your haven? Nah, she's going to wait till the next night. She's not going to risk the sun. Or winding up somewhere else. Marion? Wolf? Marion's not hungry. Cat? Wolf? No. Not risking it? I don't think cats will try to risk it. Alright. Time will be ticking. You'll be racing against the clock tomorrow night to feed, assuming you want to. Because you have a feeling that you'll want to be as clear-headed as possible, but that's a story for another time. As the night ends, we'll have one last scene with Marion. Marion, as you step through the doors into the lobby of the Colonial Hotel and start making your way between the faux Roman columns towards the elevator you feel your phone vibrate you pick it out of your pocket and it's your father he's tried to call you several times you must have been driving you've missed all three of them the last contact he's made is a simple text message it simply says i think i'm in trouble ma'am 
uh, she, yeah, she's going to call him. As you reach for the... F- as you swipe your finger across the screen and begin to dial his number, you hear the sound of someone clearing their throat. <clears throat> you look up and you see your sire, Verity, standing framed in the doorway behind the reception counter. Out late tonight, Marion. Busy night? At uh, very. Come, we've got your father in the meeting room. I'm sure he'd very much like to speak to you. Uh, uh, I, I, I see. Uh, on my way. Follow her behind the counter, down the hallway, into that all-too-familiar boardroom with the marbled walls and the long mahogany table. Chase is already in there, and so is your father. His skin pale, his face wrought with worry. He looks up at you as you enter, his eyes wide, and he says, Marion! Marion, love, I've been trying to call. I... They're taking everything, love. The, the, the house, the money. The, the, the... They won't tell me what I did wrong. Hold on, calm, calm down. What's going on here? Verity flashes a smile as she takes her seat next to Chase. And she says, Please recount for us, Marion. When we allowed you to embrace your father... What it was on the condition of Elaine's embrace, yes. I, I know what this is about. And where is Elaine Dunsern now? It was out of my hands. Out of your hands. Do you recall why we wanted Elaine Dunsern embraced? <sighs> Something tells me you're going to remind me anyway. Chase flourishes and says, naturally... You recall all the stuff that went on between your father and Elliot Dawkins, all the Pentex business, right? Mm-hmm. And then, we know your father was being blackmailed, he was ghouled, you know, he didn't have a say in all that, and it was within you were within your rights to free him from all that, but, well, in case Dawkins considered him an asset... We wanted Elaine embraced so that the Anarchs would have no reason to move against us. She's married to Tick Dunsern. We would have had a blood tie to the Anarchs, and now we have nothing. So, here's what we've done. We realised that, well, why would Elliot Dawkins want to make a move against us at all? Why would he have considered your father an asset? Very, Verity winks at you as she fills you in, and she says, Well, his money, his resources, his assets, is all very obvious to you, my child, is it not? Mm-hmm. So, given that we no longer have insurance, we figured the next best thing to do would be to rem- simply remove the elements of the equation that would make your father an appealing target. Your father frowns. He sinks his head and he says, they, they took the home, Marion said. I had no choice in the matter. Said, said, we'd, said we'd messed up. And, and now they're, now they're, 
Chase holds out a hand, silencing him. Your Banu Hakim friend and your bouncer friend murdered two people in that house. Turns out that makes it quite a good place for summoning and dealing with raids. So we've taken possession of the Duncern estate and, well, we figure it would be in your father's best interest to get him out of the firing line. So where are... Uh... Your father looks at you, Marion, and you can see in his eyes that the answer's not going to be... That what he's about to say is not going to be good at all. His bottom lip trembles as he says, They're, they're sending, se sending me to Sydney. Why in God's name would you be doing that? Chase shrugs. Gets him out of the firing line. Elliot Dawkins couldn't come after him even if he wanted. And, you know, Sydney. We got a big presence up there, but you know who's got an even bigger one? Thin Bloods. And your father might be able, might just be the inroad we're looking for. He can still be useful, even without all of his assets, even without his money and his names and his big fancy house. I'm sorry, I, I still don't understand where you think you got the ability to just repossess someone's legal property. That's not how this works. No, no. See, we didn't legally repossess it. Yes, you didn't. So move the fuck on with this. This is beneath you. Your father understands his duty to the clan, as do you, and we simply impressed upon him that donating it to us, allowing us to make use of it, would be for the good of everyone involved, and your father agreed that us taking control of those assets, sending him out of the domain, would be good for a while. Get him out of any danger he might be in. Isn't that right, Anthony? He looks your father in the eyes. Your father looks oh, back Oh, for Christ's him. sake, Chase, kill the fucking theatrics. I'm down a major boon. That's all this is worth. Major boon? Down a major boon. And what? I'll happily give it. I, I, I acknowledge that I didn't keep up my end of the bargain, but this is just fucking pathetic. So there's no problem? You think your father's, uh... services are... Uh best used trying to establish contact in Sydney? No, I think that's there? fucking ridiculous. It's not his boon. So what would you propose instead? Says Chase. A major boon, what will you do for us? That's up to you. Mm. Anything? Anything sufficient to its worth? He and Verity exchange glances. I might remind you that in his current position, this would equivocate a life boon for my father, not a major. He has no ability to defend himself. You think of something, says Verity. I understand. He's your child, you have to look out for him. I would do the same for you! The Malkavian, Felicity. As of tonight, your duties as her guardian uh, to end, transferred to us. The prince won't mind. It is, after all, a boon. One Hikata must 
always fall back upon the hierarchy of the clan. When the prince turned her over to us, she was not merely turning her over to you, but to the clan in general. Take it or leave it. Why would you want that? Child of a primogen. Why wouldn't we want her? <laughs> Do you know how much of a fucking handful she is? Oh, we can guess. But she can't be that much of a handful. After all, most nights you're out doing whatever it is you do while she sits in the penthouse suite stuck in her colouring <sighs> books. In fact, we hear you recently agreed to share your duties with her sire, so clearly you're not that attached to her. Her, her look is just icy. But, uh... What... What would custody entail? I believe she's fine using your haven as her own. That arrangement can stay, but... Well... You simply let her... Simply let us... Talk to her. You know, while you're out and about doing your thing for your coterie and for Samantha Stokes, uh, Chase and I will pay her a visit. You know, we'll pick up the slack. Train her in the things that you haven't had the time to. Oh, how generous. Fine, it's a deal. Leaf. Chase claps his hands together, and then he beams over at your father and he says, Anthony, good news! You're not going to Sydney after all. You can have your old station back. Be back there in the real estate office by tomorrow morning. Any old houses, anything that looks like it's haunted, snap them up, let us know, you know the deal. Your father shrugs and then he looks at you. The utter... The, the utter downtrodden resignation on his face. Seeming to reach for your insides and twist them. Okay, Chase. Yes, yes, Mr. Giovanni, he says. And then he sighs, and he looks up at you, and he says, Thank, thank you. Thank you for, for helping me, Marion Love. Well, you, you don't have to do that. Look, our business here is concluded. My father owes you nothing. Agreed. Enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy childcare. You beckon for your father to follow you, and he pulls himself out of his chair and, like a scolded child, seems to dart across the boardroom, following you out, and leaving behind Chase and Verity, each of them grinning ear to ear, happy with this forced arrangement. Now, uh, I think you should give me a stain. Yeah, uh, I was for my, on it. Yeah, for my hierarchy overriding loyalty uh, conviction. Um, I will add to that that uh, 
<laughs> Demiurge posted in the chat, oh, these poor bastards in, in regards to uh, to Flick. And yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it. She she did not uh, give up nearly as much as they think she did there. Yeah, exactly. I'm aware of that. You're aware of that. But they're not. And that's going to set up something really interesting in the end game. And so we'll leave it there as this session comes to an end as the Coterie retreat to their havens and the scum and the nightlife scurry from the rising sun, scattering like cockroaches into the gutters and the buildings and the places just beneath the calm underbelly where the monsters and the creatures of the night weather the daylight hours 